You're listening to The Rant. Please go away. Let me sleep for the love of God. I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. You're listening. So the best way to get something done, if you if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to... Anyway. You fucking crazy man. You sound insane. Do you realize that? To, to the rant. I speak jive. Oh, good. I've been saying it. I've been saying it for 10 damn years. Ain't I been saying it, Miguel? Huh? I've been saying it. You are listening to The Rant with David King. It is good to be here today with you on this Tuesday, February 21st. If the audio sounds different, it's because we're not in studio today. We're actually in a very special place. We're at the Hudgens Center for Art and Learning, and we have a great guest with us today. Our guest today is Laura Balance. Say hello, Laura. Hello, David. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. This is uh, pretty special because I have... I personally am not involved with the Hudgens Art Center, but my wife is, and through that, I am through. I'm involved via like proxy through her. Correct. I would say you're involved. Yeah, <laughs> maybe against your will, but uh, you're definitely. I, I have been to many of event. Yes, I have been partial to the ups and downs, and uh, the tears, and the laughter, and the pain. The many volunteer hours uh, of. Bringing this place up, it is an interesting story. I want to get into it later for sure. Um, so you're the executive director. Uh, you have a background in visual arts and arts management, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, just so our audience uh, can get to know you a little bit, and we can go from there. Okay. So uh, Laura Balance, as you mentioned, born and raised in Atlanta. Uh, I know. Hot Atlanta. I didn't think you were born in Atlanta. Really? No, because you don't have a Southern accent. Everybody says that. And I don't know why. Uh, Yeah, my father born and raised. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we in a long Atlanta family. But I feel like the Atlanta accent is the non-accent of the South. Because it's such a transplant city. Fair enough. So No, that's true, too. And it's interesting because if you are in Atlanta... That, that's actually a really good point. You don't hear that very often in Atlanta. And then when you go, and you can go like 30 minutes outside of it to Gwinnett. Well, mm-hmm. Not even Gwinnett almost a yeah. bit more. Yeah, you got to go. You almost got to go like commerce now. But there are some words that uh, I, have, I have a hard time. Like they're bald peanuts. I don't know. Bald peanuts? <laughs> <laughs> that's some bald peanuts. Yeah, it's, you really have to think about boiled like boiled. that doesn't, that's not. That's, that's Kate though. That Kate's the same way with that. Boiled I don't know. Peanuts, not boiled, not boiled peanuts, but. Um, you do it. You're boiled. Boiled. Yeah. Bald. Well, I'm a Michigan guy, so I have. Yeah. I'm just glad I don't sound like a youper anymore. Yeah. You know? Well, you know. You, don't you know there, eh? You, you got to be careful on the roof. Oh, up there on the roof. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> on the roof there, eh? I've always been bad at accents, but I do love the, uh, that northern section, middle you know, the people Midwest. who say the, like the, the I coulda, coulda, 
Coulda, woulda, shoulda. I don't. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Oh, don't you know those kind of people there? But don't you know? But you know what they don't know is th- about the bald peanuts, and that's unfortunate for them. They're just assuming that there's peanuts that are bald. Because it's like, <laughs> there's some bald peanuts? I don't know. I'm confused yeah. right now. <laughs> so you're from Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're the executive director now. Correct. But what is, what's your background like? Tell us a little bit about your education and everything. Uh, because it's interesting. I, I want to know because you, you were, you were originally at SCAD mm-hmm. and now you're here. Mm-hmm. So did you go to school for this? What, 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 tell us a little bit about that. So I am the middle of four children. So there are five. My mom is, she's an overachiever. She had five kids and no, no, no. She had four, but in five years. So my older sister, Katie is two years, my eldest and then right behind me, we have the twins, Harry and Marthy, and they're not quite three years younger than me. So middle child. And I think in my, I don't know, I was always drawn to the arts. But, or from, I remember elementary, middle school, just pouring over the National Geographic magazines. I was interested in documentary photography, narrative photography. Uh, middle school, I started... Um, in ceramics at, at school and in school program and fell in love with that and really planned on pursuing a bachelor of fine arts in college. And so I did a year of that. My father said there were not, I was, I was fortunate enough to have my father paying the bill, um, funding my education as long as I kept my grades up. And he said, we're not, you know, what are you going to live in flip-flops and eat ramen noodles and throw pots in Dahlonega. Like, this is not a marketable career. Um, so, and I appreciate that he was trying to set me up for success. But anyway, so I, and despite him, I chose cultural anthropology, which was the only thing I could find that was less marketable than a fine arts degree at the time. I cultural anthropology. What is cultural. it? What is that? So it's a study of human cultures and behaviors. There's a little bit of everything in it of the social sciences, you know, you're studying political systems and yeah, environmental factors, the impact on um, society, you know, just all of the things that kind of come together, the many facets of any particular culture, um, whether cultures are matriarchal and why or patriarchal and why. So yeah, the it's it was fascinating and it kind of it, what the arts are a big part of cultural anthropology um so i still got to i was still reading and learning and connected to the arts i felt in some way and also just in pastimes and hobbies and it really drove further that um my interest and passion for documentary photography um storytelling through photography though i always did that kind of at an amateur kind of hobbyist level. Right. So photography, that's interesting. I never would have guessed. Are they, do you still dabble in the photography at all? Um, or did you get away from that? Yeah, not in a legitimate way. I mean, I'll, when we travel, I'll take pictures with my iPhone, but I used to, I got a Nikon F in when I was, I think it was my 13th or 14th Christmas present from my dad. So he did so try to nurture it, that. Is a Nikon F, is that film? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, and it was, you know, yeah, and I still have it. And and do you really? Yeah. Can you even get film for that? You have to, you can, but you have to order it and it gets pricier and pricier to develop. And it's so weird. Well, if only the Hudgens had a, 
you know, a light dark room, room. Yeah. a dark room yeah. rather. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It'd be kind of nice. Right. <laughs> I have been saying that the Hudgens needs a photography program, but that's just me. Uh, you know, uh, we've got the suggestion box right over there. I don't know if you. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so you got this Nikon F. You've gone to you go to school for this France pod. Did you graduate with that degree, or did you transfer at some point? Oh, I did. Because I was going to say because what you went what you said doesn't really match up with where you are. So right. I'm curious was there a, was there a fork in the road there? Uh. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. So my father is, he's conservative traditionalist and he, mm-hmm. he thought all three of his daughters would go to women's colleges in the South. And well, that's very conservative. It is very conservative. My older sister, Katie, great. She's the first one out there. She did it, checked that box. And we thought he should be thrilled that one out of three. She the oldest child? The oldest. Yes. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so by the time I came around, I started at Agnes Scott. I wanted to go to Parsons School of Design in New York. And my dad was like, no. And then I that thought. That sounds prestigious. It's, you know, it's, it was good school at the time. This is 1992 and the arts were really different. They weren't a viable kind of commodity the way that we have the creative economy now you know you yeah. went and you were a gallery artist or a studio artist and you fought for representation you know it was so it was it wasn't the career field then that I mean we barely had graphic design in 1990 so the idea of pursuing really? a bachelor of fine arts I mean it was still a really new field yeah, yeah. so um people were you know newspaper editors were manually marking up pages and images and um so weird to think about that that it, was that was literally like 20 or 30 years ago yeah, it's not that long ago yeah yeah but now you have ux design and multimedia design and interactive design and animation like all of these things didn't exist for, and if you wanted to pursue study or career or both in the fine arts it just there wasn't as much opportunity then as there is now so um anyway i ended up at agnes scott college in decatur georgia um because that was you know, my father thought would be a good fit for me. And I made a lot of friends and it was great. Um, but after a year, I said, I gave it a shot. I'm not loving this. I transferred to UGA. Um, go dogs. I know. You know, I never, I'm, I'm not a go dogs guy. I never went to a football game. I hate to really say, <laughs> shame on you. It's a bastard child of UGA never, is what you are. Never made it. And I lived like a block away from Sanford stadium, but, um, Oh my gosh, there, there are UGA fans. that are going to hear this podcast. They're going to scold you so hard. Right listen, now. I, I was a great tailgater. That's good enough. That I feel like that's where the heart is. You know, I just, um, anyway, that's where a lot of fun is. Th- that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what I'm all, saying. That's yeah. where all I mean, I don't, are. um, so I went to UGA and then was fine there. I was, you know, I was kind of just moving through the K through 12 years, K through 12 plus four years. And then my grandmother with whom I was very close, she had a series of strokes. So I moved back to Atlanta, moved in with her so that she could stay in her home and was, <laughs> living with her and we had a great time taking care of her. So I enrolled in, um, this is where we really deviate from Agnes Scott college, the four year women's college of the South. Um, (laughs) I went to Atlanta Metro junior college, um, and took French, Spanish, public speaking and a statistics course. And then a couple quarters there went up to Kennesaw state, I don't know, more electives. Finally, I ended up 
at Georgia State University for the last two years to finish it. And I remember going in before graduation, while my major was always cultural anthropology, um, my advisor said, like, you have enough credits here now to to double major in like three other things, and which was great. So I picked uh, psychology and then with a minor in Spanish. How much did you get involved in psychology? Did you really, <laughs> did you get deep into that? Like, did you get deep into the weeds? Because I'm obsessed with psychology. I am too. And I mean, there's, there's, it, there's, there's this great perspective that like studying cultural anthropology and psychology gives you, it never leaves you. You're constantly reading yeah. the room. And I've always like loved people watching. And you think about just, you know, to what degree every one of us is, is crazy, but we're mostly, most of us are high functioning crazy. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all insane. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Some of us are more functioning than others. So right. there's no doubt about that. There's no argument on the crazy, but how much are you willing to provide for society? That's another, that's a debatable uh, topic right there for sure. So that was my path through college. But then I feel like you, you land right where you're supposed to, because I, I, uh, ended up with a, a job offer at, uh, Woodruff Art Center. And I spent prior to about two years with the Home Depot corporate office doing qualitative analysis. So like what not to sell on the end caps in Florida, like snowblowers. Um, so I tried a corporate job per my father's. Go work request. for Home Depot. <laughs> Your father has quite a bit of influence. He it does. seems. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I'm my father's child and I try to please him, but, um, you know, he's a man of many contradictions, so it's hard to sometimes you just go your own way at the end of the day. Well, I've met your parents. Yeah. They're very, very interesting people. Your dad, especially. He's a character, no doubt. He's a good guy. He's a great guy. And I enjoyed our conversations with him. He um, enjoyed getting to know you too. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm only sad that we couldn't really sit down and talk more. It was quite kind of loud and crazy. Mm -hmm. We had the dogs there at this this, what was that thing? It was like um, a <clears throat> Paul Casso day. Paul, Paul Casso. So that's the kind of things we have here at the Hudgens, Paul Casso. Um, I have to believe that you probably had a pretty unique childhood growing up. I would assume that there must be an interesting story or two there. Yeah, there are some. There are some. <laughs> you would not want to divulge <laughs> into that? Uh-oh. We were just talking about psychology. Mm. Um, <clears throat> no, I... I uh, my family's really close and I am grateful That's good. for that. It is really good. My brother, I've, my younger brother is, yeah, he kind of went, he's on his own. He's the youngest. The youngest. Well, it's, uh, so the twins, Marthy passed from ALS, you know, about, I did. I'm so sorry. Eight years ago. Thank you. There's, you know, both, the there's the missing of her physical yeah. person, but I feel like she's very much with us and there's a lot that came from her passing that, you know, that's good. It inspires you to get back to others and, and things that I learned from her that, that I would probably take for granted if she were still walking around right. today. But so thanks. But, but yeah, there's, there's good in it too. Yeah. Silver lining sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, Harry kind of went his own way. Uh, but my family is a close one and, um, yeah, my, my dad is, we, we call him colorful, I guess in the <laughs> South is a polite term, a little eccentric. Um, but he's, you know, he's always, he's always been there, but, um, for me, he still is there for me. Um, growing up, he, he, you know, you want to just blend in as a kid, as a teenager, you just, you know, I was like, can we just get the Buick Riviera when he had a 69 
E-type Jaguar convertible. I was, and he was blaring, um, like Beethoven or, or, um, Berlioz or something from the stereo. I was like, do we, do you have to pick me up like this? You had me at the Jag and then he's blaring Beethoven. Yeah. I'm thinking like Twisted Sister or something. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe the Beach Boys. I'm just trying to figure out like he's got the Jag, like he's halfway there and be like the coolest dad ever. He, uh, he (laughs) jazz and classical music are the two things he turned me on to. And, uh, he's a music aficionado, but it begins and ends somewhere between classical music and jazz. I think he's, he got into a Donna, Donna summer phase once. Um, I think everybody goes through that phase for like a brief moment. Did yeah. Kate went through a Donna summer's phase and I was co- a little concerned. I'm like, are we going to listen to this all the time? <laughs> like, it's only good every once in a while. It's not a bad thing overall. Uh, in, in small quantities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm, well, I'm glad he went there. He, you know, got out of his comfort zone for a little <laughs> bit. But um, no, there was the time that what he would get into these bartering deals. He would trade a this and a that, and was constantly trading up. And I think it was like 1981 or 82. Somehow we ended up with one fifth of a sailboat in the Virgin Islands. But he didn't tell my mother. He just said you know, pack swimsuits for the kids. Um, we're going to be gone for a couple of weeks. This is over the summer. And he refused to tell my mom where we were going. And because he thought she would get upset, which she would have. Yeah, he was like, for sure. you know, it's a surprise. It's, you're this is a total it. Dave move, by the way. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> I went to the same thing. I'm like, there's no way Kate's going to say yes to this. So I just got to get her it. on the plane yeah. and go. That's exactly <laughs> um, what happened. And my mom kept asking, like, we're going to be on like dry land, right? My dad was like, yeah, of course. I mean, we're not going to be treading water for a couple of weeks. So um, we get to the airport and we're checking in for a flight and the people checking the bags said, no, San Juan. And so that was when my mom realized we're going to San Juan, Puerto Rico. And we get to San Juan and we get on another little island hopper and get to St. Thomas, the Virgin Islands. And and this was, I mean, it was a really different place back in 81, 82, the early 80s. Like the Charlotte Amelie Airport was just a plane hangar. You know, it was, the runway was so short. I think the largest plane you could land was like a DC-3, is small plane. Wow. Um, it is small. Yeah. So you, you know, you weren't getting that like American flights out of Miami. Um, so then we get to this boat and of course my dad didn't know how to sail a boat. None of us did. I think I was in sixth grade at the time. So there was a guy named Jerry who spent a week with us on the boat. Um, he was from the St. Thomas and he grew up sailing and taught us how to sail. And then got off the boat and we took up from there and it was, but it was, it was actually like going back and living on that boat, like in the summers and during breaks, it was, um, I mean, I learned, you know, I was Patty certified by age 12. Really? Yeah. And, and that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was great. Like a lot of things, like my dad was, he was, he was really impulsive and was like, well, we'll just make up work. This is a good opportunity and let's just may seem crazy, but why not? So, um, there were a lot of those things where, yeah, just leave the dirty dishes in the sink, get on a flight, don't tell your mother where we're going, let's go live on a sailboat for a few weeks. That's exciting, though. It was good. Like, that is, nobody, not, not a lot of people can say they've done anything even remotely close to that. Like, everything is so structured today. Yeah. There's well, nobody that's going to be like, leave the dishes in the sink, let's go. You know what it was for my dad <laughs> is he he didn't like us watching television. He didn't like us talking on the phone. He he He... I don't know how he would have ever handled these 
cell phones as if you were a parent today um, because he wanted us to always be like out and doing and playing with our friends and you know they'd lock the doors until it was dark <laughs> and like go play like I don't care where you, yeah. the neighborhood was safe and just go be out you know um, so. that was never a problem for me you know my parents <laughs> my dad would always be like where's Dave because I was <laughs> never in the house I was always out of the house so uh, that was more of a problem for my sisters I think growing up so I'm the youngest of three kids. Okay. Uh, and my two older sisters, they were the ones that were always kind of like in the house and it felt like you had to kind of push them out, push them out sometimes. But yeah, I guess when they got older though, that kind of changed because Desiree was always kind of the free bird. She always wanted to be gone doing something. Mm -hmm. She just was never home. But, um, yeah, I was, just, I, you couldn't keep me inside. I was always playing with my friends, riding my bike. Yeah. It just, that was life. Yeah. You know? And of course when Nintendo 64 came out, that was kind of a slow transition for me. I was like, oh, video games, these are cool. And yeah. that's when I started to come back in more. But yeah, I, I like that. I think that's, I think we need to get back to that. Um, parents especially, because I know and parents will say, well, my kids are involved in sports. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but that's not the same thing. Yeah. Like sports are good because you can learn a lot playing sports. I played varsity hockey and a lot of other rec leagues and stuff like that. But and yeah, you get a, you learn a lot there, but there's something about like being with your family, taking trips, getting out of the house and experiencing life that you don't get from watching the discovery channel. Yeah. You need to get out. That's true. And I think what my dad was trying to do there is expose us to as much as he could. And it's, I remember, um, uh, Tortola, which is British Virgin Islands we would dock at this Marine. I can't remember the name of, I think it was just Tortola. Um, is that the pirate stuff? The pot. Yeah. So they would leave us. There was, I can't, I think it was called like the poop deck, but at the Marina <laughs> we would, you know, you would, we'd go to the store and get more forever milk and stock. This is a 36 foot sailboat, six of us living on it. And we would stock up on supplies. We would, could take a real shower and gas up the boat and, and my parents would go out and they would leave our babysitters were these guys who would, who were sailing across the Atlantic from Southern Africa and, you know, end up in the, the, what the West Indies and the British Virgin Islands. And, uh, and they would just, our babysitters would tell us stories of, of pirates and just the crazy storms they experienced. And sure. I mean, it was just such a great being exposed to that as a kid. And these people, that's that, interesting. Yeah. That would be exciting. Like me as a kid going there and learning about pirates, I would have loved that. Oh, I was, yeah, I was fascinated. It yeah. just makes you hungry for like what all is out there. Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe it explains why it seems like now you travel a lot. I do. You seem to be always going somewhere. I know your husband travels a lot. He does. Um, what are some of the places you've been? What are some memorable moments there? Yeah, so... Um, I'm sure you have some funny or crazy stories, too. Oh, I've got stories. Um, there's always a story. Anytime you get on a plane and go far away, there's a story. Ain't that the truth? Uh, <laughs> it may not be a good one. Nope. But, uh, but it's, there's always a story. But, uh, yeah, so my father was a Delta captain. Um, he met my mom, who was a flight attendant in 64, maybe, 65. Uh, they met on a trip to Ann Arbor and had dinner and hey, a movie during the layover. My hometown, go, go blue. Um, and it worked out for them. And uh, so I grew up flying standby and, you know, we'd go fly up to New York City for the day. First flight up, last flight back, see a Broadway show, 
you know, eat at the, the deli or whatever. And, um, and then in high school, I was doing that with my, a friend of mine, whose father was also a Delta pilot. We would just hop on a plane and go up to New York or, uh, my sisters and I would go to Paris for a weekend. So it was, it was great to kind of learn that, learn just about the world, just in this fun, impulsive way. So that's a, that's a world that no, not a lot of people get it. Like I'm sure people listening go, wow, just to hop on a plane and go somewhere is amazing. But it's like, yeah, it that's the that way anymore. Sadly. Well, no, yeah. it doesn't. But you, I feel like you being that he's a Delta pilot, you're in that family. It, it does seem like you have some privileges that are maybe a little bit different than the rest. Yeah. Which is actually like, that just makes me a little jealous. I'm like, yeah. damn, that's a level of freedom that a lot of people don't have. It's almost like having a private jet. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a different industry in the eighties and nineties. Um, it was probably better. Yeah. It was just easier, you know? And I mean, you could always get on a flight standby. You, it's, you can't, I've been stuck so many times. Um, but I, so a lot of the time I've tried to go places that aren't where I could get on a flight. So Cancun, everybody goes there. So I end up going to Port-au-Prince and, um, that's the alternative. But I mean, there, there are things to, that I've liked in going to places that are a little off the, the tourist track. Um, there aren't a lot of places that are off the tourist track these days, um, for better or worse. But some of my favorite places have been Myanmar. I, I fell in love with Haiti and it's, it sounds really? strange, but, um, we had a lot of people tell us like, don't, don't go. <laughs> we, we were, Everybody hears it's like not the place to go not, to. Well, this week it definitely is not. But we were, you know, we're, we stay abreast of the current political climate in various places before we go, and and we try to be safe and um, and you know, with every what does my dad say? Um, safety first is what all the great risk takers say. It's a safety first. So you sure. know, we we knew somebody who was Haitian. We connected with some family he had there and we, the people, it's amazing. The places that make an impression are where the people have the least. Um, and they tend to be the most gracious. And that was our experience in Haiti. Um, you know, you had, they dragged us to church for five hours in Haitian Patois and introduced us to a congregation of probably 800 people, maybe a thousand. The church was so full that people were standing out in the yard at the church. I mean, they're really, these are, they're really good people for the most part. They're just really good people who just don't, and they work hard and they're trying hard and they just have not gotten a fair shake. Um, but everybody was just so gracious and it was, it was tough. I don't know that I ate a lot on that trip because, um, it's hard to stomach. Um, the situation there. We sure. brought a lot of lunches for people, but, uh, yeah, it's just my, um, un- my understanding of Haiti is it's, it's a place that's just kind of been taken advantage of. Yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is there. I don't, I don't know how it got to be, how it is. I don't, I don't know, but I do know that, um, there are a lot of good people on the ground there that have endured more than we could possibly imagine. Um, one of the the people we befriended was um, a 14 year old girl who had lost both parents in the earthquake and her name was love. And uh, she's just, we still keep in touch with her like a decade later. And uh, just, she's just out there studying and doing her best. And yeah, I don't know. It's um, Haiti made an impression. 
it made me really grateful for it's really hard to hug goodbye some you know an orphaned kid that you've spent the past week or so with and right. um and then get on a plane and, and come back and come here home and yeah. be like see ya sorry yeah. um so i mean it's i i think that in travel the thing that the, the reason i love it why some people go get massages or have chiropractic adjustments or whatever to me it's that it's like this a sense of perspective for all that you think is stressful and crazy and important here. Like you just, you're reminded that there's this whole other world and we're really fortunate and, um, yeah, to find the good in people. I think that's what frustrates me the most about so much that goes on in this country. This is such a great place to live. It's not perfect. It's far from being perfect. But when you think about going to Haiti or Mm -hmm. go to Afghanistan or Iraq or something, and you see the conditions that people are living in, or the governments they're dealing with, um, it really makes you appreciate what you have here more. I think people, I think a lot of people need that perspective because they're, yeah. they're not getting it. Yeah, They're getting told that where they're at now is awful or there's some, some oppressive patriarchy that's trying to hold them back. And it's like, come on, let's, let's, let's cut the crap. Yeah. <laughs> let's just understand where we're at. This is a, this is one of the best times to be alive. Yeah. I mean, we have, if you want to own a business, you can own a business. Mm-hmm. If you want to, it's easier to start a business now than it was for our parents mm-hmm. and our parents' parents. We have social media now. You can connect to anybody all throughout That's the true. world. Yeah. It's global now. This is the best time to be alive. Yeah. Modern medicine, everything. Mm-hmm. There's really no reason for us to, we really need to take a moment and say, I've got a roof over my head. I've got food on the table. I've got internet. I've got a phone. I've got people who care about me. I have, I can go out and do whatever I want. There's nobody putting a gun to my head, Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't have to worry about being persecuted shot and buried in mass grave. Like so many people do in other countries still today. Yeah. Uh, So I I, I agree. That's good. It's like there, that's therapeutic in a way to to be there. I, I've never been, I have no interest in going. I, cause I know I've seen the photos. I'm like, ah, it's hard. Don't want to go there. It's hard. It's hard. And I remember having like at one point having a drink, like a, whiskey or something and CeeLo who's was the grandmother grandmotherly type taking care of this little girl love um she was chasing me around the yard with my drink my cocktail I was like listen it's been a really hard couple of days like let me just have I just need I just needed a cocktail right. and she's like no no God does not like you doing that like she's just she's a better woman than me hyper um, hyper conservative religious yeah. Christ, Christians over there yeah. which yeah which is interesting they're very yeah, it's weird. Uh, just the, their God, like they aspire to, you know, the ways of God and Christ and, you know, they were very good to each other, except for the stories we hear where they're not, you know, there are gangs and political corruption at to extremes that, you know, but yeah. well, we need to find a way to support those people to be able to take power over the, mm-hmm. those who mm-hmm. are the more the, the yeah. oppressive group. And, let that be a lesson to people who are, um, I mean, these people are living in very poor conditions mm-hmm. and yet look at their faith. That yeah. to me is like, that is huge. That, that was the, yeah, that was the beauty part for me or like kind of the eye opener. Um, cause these people should be mad at God, but they're not, they have every right to be. No, well, you know, and, and really these, these people in Silot's home, there was a refrigerator, nothing in it, but she had padlocks on it. Mm. And, and still they, you know, were, they drove us 
to Jacques Mel to see this beautiful city on the coast. They drove, you know, they took great care of us. They had nothing to give, but they still gave what they had graciously. And right. so I think there's a lesson in that and realizing that we are, you know, the, the people just trying to make their way through the everyday, we're all more alike than unalike wherever you are. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. Haiti is definitely, I don't know what the answer is for the Haitian people. Um, but, but yeah, they are, you know, the, the folks I met were just really opened my eyes to a lot of things in great ways. It's almost like, this may sound kind of bad to say, but it's like maybe if only the America would just colonize it and take it over <laughs> and just give this, like give it some sort of government to, yeah. and, and flush out the bad apples. I mean, it's hard to do though. And I, I mean, but don't then we of course enough? we'd be the oppressive, right. you know, yeah. we would be looked at as like, look at this, you know, they're conquering they just want the yeah. resources. It's like, no, we just want to help the people. Again, you know, yeah, like we want to give them a sub, we want to give them the suburbs with the golf course. Like right. that's what we want to give them. Right. But, well, and I, I think it really is. It's up to the, it's up to the Haitian people to find their way forward. And we can only do so much. We're blessed as Americans to be, yeah, anytime you go anywhere, it's still, it's still the case for the most, I mean, gosh, I remember being in Oman and, and talking to an, an imam about, you know, Christianity, which is my religion and Islam, his religion. And, um, and he's still, you know, he was like, America is this amazing place and the beacon of freedom. And I love being representative of that to people around the world. And, um, of, of course our government has done some not great things too. Everyone's, everyone's has, um, yeah. but for the most part, you know, we are the symbol for liberty, freedom, um, and, and, and prosperity and, uh, but yeah, if we can't take care of everybody, it seems like right now in our country, there's, there's a lot we need to focus on to just take care of our country and the people in it. And so that we can keep doing not just for ourselves, but for, for the, the rest of the world. And, you know, and well, it's like, it's like you, you got to take care of you and before you can take care of someone else, like right. you got to put your mask on before you put the passenger's mask on, on the oh, plane. Yeah. Like you mm -hmm. got to make sure you're healthy and in a position that's well, so you can then go off and be a philanthropist. You can't mm -hmm. be the poor man being a philanthropist. It doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. You right. got you got to take care of yourself. And yeah. that's the way this country is. And fortunately, we're in a bit of a crisis right now. We've got a lot going on. Spoke about that in the last podcast about train derailments and chemicals being dumped in the air. And we got yeah, it's, it's it's we've got a homeless epidemic going on everywhere now in the country. Atlanta does not look like Atlanta used to. It breaks my heart. Every time yeah. I go downtown Atlanta, I'm like, what is going on mm -hmm. down here? How did this happen? Yeah. I've been here since 2010 and it's just crazy in that, you know, 14 year period of how much it's gone from being a place that I would walk by myself mm -hmm. and be just excited to be here Yeah. to now it's like, I don't want anything to do with Atlanta. Yeah. And how, what do you do? You know, how, how do you fix it? It's like Haiti. Like, well, what can you do? Like, what can they do? How, what's the solution? I don't know. What's the solution to homelessness? Like, I, what do you do with these folks? Yeah. I don't know. I, and that's. Cause it's a mental health problem. Like, how do you fix it? Yeah. It's, I think it's, I think with any of the problems, it's, it's a result of multiple factors, you know, sure. it's. Um, Certainly not black and white. No. And, and these problems don't <laughs> exist in a silo. You know, a lot of our vets are homeless. Why, yep. what, how can we do? No. You know, how does that happen? Um, so you want to be empathetic. Um, but then you also want to 
I feel like the, the easiest solution for me is to just go out every day and try to find, you know, we don't have to vote alike. I don't care how you vote. I just care that you care. I care that you care about, um, your neighbor and your neighbor may disagree with you or may not. Maybe y'all are on, maybe y'all are in an echo chamber complaining about the same things, (laughs) but to go and just find the ways in which, because we are at the end of the day, we're all Americans. For the most part, we all want the same things. You just might have very different ways of Mm -hmm. approaching the problem. Um, Very different ways. It seems these days. Pretty tribal these days. but, uh, But, but I think at the end of the day, you know, we all want, we all want the same things. We want, we want a safe, neighborhood, a safe community. We want opportunities for ourselves for, to take care of our families. We want opportunities for our kids. We, you know, yeah, we want transparency in government. We want, um, we definitely want that. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think you're right. I, I don't think people, I don't think people are as different as they like to make out or, or I don't think we're as tribal right. as the media would let us believe we are. Like it's yeah. like, I understand we all kind of have the guy we vote for mm-hmm. and that's fair enough. Yeah. And maybe it's gotten worse over the last five or 10 years, 20 years, whatever. But I think if you go outside your house and you talk to your neighbors, you'll find out you guys are all kind of on the same playing field. Yeah. Like you're on the same team. Yeah. Even though you may not vote the same way. It's like, we all want the same things. Like yeah. you said, it's like, yeah. we want, we want our kids to grow up in a, in a safe environment. We want our kids to have a future. We want to have a future. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to be able to go to the grocery store and buy eggs. Like that's mm-hmm. what we want. Oh, it's hard to do it, these it, days. It's a little hard and it's weird. Uh, not going to go down the tinfoil hat road on this podcast. That's a different podcast, but it is, it's weird. But I think at the end of the day, like it, it's all, I think the media has a big, has a lot to do with that. The 24 hour media thing is because if you look at like the way culture has gone, and why we all kind of feel like we're kind of going into our own little groups. It almost feels like that started maybe in the late eighties, early nineties, very slowly. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the same time when 24 hour news became a thing. It mm-hmm. used to be like, you turn in, you tune into the noons in the evening, you got mm-hmm. your local news and that was it. Yeah. You'd figure out, okay, there's the golf war or whatever, Persian golf. And then yeah. we got that. And it's okay. That's, that's your federal news, whatever, local, your global news. But then you hear about the town, whatever's going on in your local area. But now it's like, it's 24 seven. Yeah. And I have, I'm not going to name who they are. But there are people that I know, mm-hmm. much older than I am, mm-hmm. that sit at home all day mm-hmm. and watch nothing but news. Mm-hmm. And it's either CNN or Fox, Fair, whatever you want. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But you're watching that 24-7. You're at home all day. Mm-hmm. What do you think that's doing to you? I, I think do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's too much to process. And it's not real information. Like the real information is what you get when you have small talk at the Kroger checkout. Um, mm-hmm. That's, I know that sounds kind of like just dumbing it down, but that's, that's, those are really healthy interactions with everyday people and so much more meaningful and impactful than anything you'll get out of just whatever's on the news ticker for the day. Um, I don't think that's constructive, a constructive way to spend your time. No, it's too much. And you're you're right. That is the best way to put it. It's information overload. Mm -hmm. You are not meant to know what is going on in Europe and Russia and Ukraine 24 mm-hmm. seven. You're not And the reason why you're not supposed to know all the time or be inundated with it just constantly is because you're, you have no control over it. Right. And your brain is like, I can only process so many stressors mm-hmm. before I'm overloaded. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, a hundred two two thousand years ago, you were in a tribe and that tribe, the only thing you cared about was what was going on in the tribe mm-hmm. because that's what mattered Yeah. because there's a lion outside outside the gates of the tribe and it's going to try or a bear or wherever you're at and it's going to try to eat you. So we need to be very careful. We need to focus on them. And also there's another tribe over there that doesn't like us very much. We just need to focus on them. Mm -hmm. 
if you focus on your community mm-hmm. and just pay attention to what's going on in your own town, you'll probably be a heck of a lot less stress. You'll have actually more control because you can vote and be a part of it mm-hmm. and actually get involved. Yeah. And then you'll actually be doing something that's meaningful versus just watching the news and going, oh my God, the world is going to end. Look what is going on. Yeah. There's nothing I can do to stop it. I so agree with that. And I think that, you know, they've all, it's always been said to me that getting involved at the, at the grassroots level, you know, the community level is where you can make the most impact. Um, and I think that's true. I really believe in like service above self and the more that you get back, the, the more rewarding your life is. Um, you know, I get, I get more out of the, just, I don't know, the, a couple hours of volunteer work feels so much better than going out and buying a new dress or a pair of shoes for me. Like I get so much more out of it. And, uh, yeah, that all happens at the community level. Absolutely. And it's easy to write a check to some big nonprofit somewhere. I mean, but it's what you're doing, you know, putting action behind your words or that, that check that you write, um, is, is more meaningful and has a greater impact. Yeah, I agree. And I know some people listening will probably laugh and say, this is the guy that would follow the news 24 seven, all this in his entire twenties. But it's like, I don't watch the news that much anymore. I tune in every once in a while just to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. But I used to be that way. I used to be the guy that was like big into watching politics and what's going on. And I watched it like with these, this just tense chest and Mm -hmm. like seeing what's going on and getting frustrated. And now I'm just kind of at a point where it's like, I can't do anything about this. Yeah. I can vote in a year and a half from now. I'll vote. I can, I can write my congressman and my senator, but at the end of the day, I can't control what we're doing at the federal level. Yeah, that's true. As and much as does, I want to, it, there's something. I'm certainly going to complain about it on my podcast. Don't get me wrong. I will, <laughs> I will trust me. I will, you know, we, no. can, we can, I will talk about it. Trust me. But it's at the end of the day, I don't give it as much attention as I used to. Yeah, no, that's good. I think it's designed to be addictive in some ways, you know, to kind of get you whipped up and hungry for the next news story or whatever. But again, like that's where having been to about 70 different countries now, like when you go out and meet people in some of these places they talk about on the news, it's just, it's an eye opener and it's so much more valuable and experience than anything you can get from somebody else's, um, version of what's happening in whatever particular place. What's your favorite, is Haiti your favorite place you've been to? Uh, No. What's your favorite place? I don't know why I mentioned Haiti except for that. Well, obviously it had an impact on your life. It did. It did. I mean, it's just the people you meet wherever you go. And, and I think I mentioned Haiti because I was talking about, it's the, the places you don't expect much from or where people have very little that surprise you the most. Um, uh, gosh, there is a town in Northern Canada, um, in the Arctic circle called Churchill. And it's a town of about 800 people and 1200 polar bears. That I think was my favorite. <laughs> so those are the people that are generally worried about the bear outside of the village. Oh that's going to that, kill them. That was a the thing that was so great about that trip. So we went, it was again, kind of an impulsive trip or like, let's, we wanted to do the trans Canadian via rail, you know, coast to coast. And it's six or $7,000. And Peter and I, you know, we're not, you know, that kind of money. So we started looking at the, the train line that went uh, north south. And we looked at a train line that at the, as far north as the, the train tracks go on this continent. 
stops at a place called Churchill in uh, Manitoba and north of the Arctic Circle. And I was like, well, what, what's, what is this? And so I started researching like Churchill, Canada and learned that it's yeah a town of 800 people and 1200 polar bears. And the more I read, I was like, this is great. And we would be going during the off season. So we'll get a deal. Well, what I learned is that the only way to really get there is unless you're have a lot of money and you private jet in is this train that's subsidized by the Canadian government goes three times a week. And the reason it's subsidized and has to go three times a week is because there are all these, um, Inuit or natives people communities that would be shut off without the train service. Um, so three times a week it goes to Churchill and we were, um, two of, I think 12 tourists in town at the time because of the off season, the off season is when the it's, it's before the ice freezes enough for the bears to go out on to hunt during the winter. Um, but, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's about three weeks, um, late November, December, while the bears are kind of hanging out around the town waiting for the ice to freeze. And when the bears are hanging out around the town, you get off the train there and you get immediately this pamphlet, like how to be safe in polar bear country. And you never go out. I mean, they tell you to keep your head on a constant swivel and you never go out one person at a time. Everyone there leaves their doors unlocked because if, I mean, polar bears will walk through the town and, um, you just run it. I mean, it's amazing. You just run into somebody else's house to seek shelter. Is that what's going on? That, well, people did. We didn't have that experience. We, Could we you had, imagine it was, <laughs> I mean, it was just, we met this one guy. Um, oh my goodness. I can't think of his name. Um, but he ran gypsies cafe and we walked in the first night and he was like, you're not from, it was like the only cafe open. And he said, you're not from here. And I said, no, I'm, I'm from Georgia. And he was like, hold on a second. He ran back behind the counter and he put on Ray Charles, Georgia and started playing that. And so started chatting with them. He's like, you got to go see the bears. So he let us borrow his big yellow pickup truck and, um, he just gave us his truck. That is insane. Oh, I nobody mean, in America would do that. No, I know it's, it's great. <laughs> no. Um, Fred was his name at gypsies cafe. Fred with the, the big yellow truck. And he's like, yeah, I keep all my beer cans and I just throw them in the back of the truck bed because that attracts the bear. So he told us where to go. We popped in his, we took his truck for the whole day, popped in, uh, he had a Johnny Cash cassette and we were just, you know, going across the Arctic tundra and we were seeing bear and then you're not, you do not get out of your car. You can't tell the bears, there could be a bear 10 feet away and you can't really see it because right. it's, it blends. It looks like a rock maybe, or just a snowy bump. Um, they're great hunters. I've fell in love with polar bears. And then we met this guy, um, Jeff, who was the Harbor master at the Arctic port up there. And he took us out in his truck and, uh, it was a, a Jeep Cherokee thing really. And I was sitting in the back seat. He was like, I know where there are bears. We had, we're not supposed to do this. And as soon as it started happening, it was like, we gotta, we gotta get out of here because you're not supposed to have too much human bear interaction. It's just not safe for either. Sure. And, but I've got a picture of sitting in the back seat and, um, Jeff and Peter were in the front seat, Jeff, Jeff, the Harbor master and Peter, my husband were in the front seat and I had the window down and my camera, I was recording this video, this bear walking towards me just kind of slowly. And you know how there's this, distance, this, this kind of misconception or misperception of distance, depth. So right. I, 
I pulled my phone down and I realized the bear was much closer. Like, and, and if it's funny, cause Peter has this video of me then, um, he like, I was like, you guys just right over here. They were looking at this bear kind of 11 o'clock. And I was like, I got one over here at three o'clock. And so Peter has this video of me, like with the, the power window, just, it was like very slow. And I was like, who was going to make it first? Had it been a hand crank, that window would have been up in seconds. Right. But the bear, I mean, it was probably 10 or 15 feet away. And then at another, I got the window up and that's when I asked Jeff, like, they don't have opposable thumbs. They can't just open the doors. Right. And he's like, honey, that's a, you know, a 1400 pound bear. He's just going to rip the top of this car off like a tuna can. I was like, Oh, I feel better. Thank um, you. That made me feel so much better. Now. Let's, let's just stay here. And then it was again in the front seat. They thought they were seeing all this great action. And I, I turned around and looked out the back window and there was a bear on its hind legs. I've got a picture of the bear's paw print or paw on the back window. I'm in the back seat and he's, then he puts the other, paw on top of the jeep and just starts pushing up and down on it and um we were like we it's time to go um yeah. i mean just amazing the people were like this is, this is part of our world and how we we navigate every day with but i got back to atlanta and it was funny peter and i got so used to that swivel your head thing and you you would walk from one building to the next and kind of pull like walk into the not into the building but like into the arborway and at the entryway and and check check swivel and then as you walk to the next building, your head is both heads constantly on a swivel looking for the bears. And, um, and when you do see them, uh, the wildlife management comes out and they'll, uh, tranquilize them, pick them up in a net with a helicopter, take them to a holding facility until the ice freezes and then deliver them out over the ice where they can hunt. But, um, yeah, it was amazing. So I think Churchill right now is, Churchill. there were so many great characters there and they were just all really, gracious and that's insane yeah yeah again something else we take for granted here we don't have to deal with we're the apex predator in america yeah you're for the most part unless you're like montana and you're in the middle of nowhere you might not be but for the most part you are yeah yeah it's a different imagine living in a world where every day your head's on a swivel it took us several days to stop swiveling our heads once we got back to atlanta i was like we don't have to do this anymore. well you gotta be on a swivel now okay because you go back down to atlanta you had better be on a swivel right let's understand what's going on yeah um, well, that's a good segue. Let's talk about what you were doing before you're, you're obviously here with the Hudgens now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what did you do before the Hudgens? I kind of briefly touched on it, but let's talk a little bit about that. Okay. So you went to college, went you to did college. all these things, but you went to different I colleges. Went to, yeah. You finally finished that. Let's talk about your your journey and your career. Um, so I mentioned my tears, corporate effort. Corporate. We tried. Home we Depot. all, we all been there. Done yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. So that's what they say, <laughs> that's, that's what Harry Balance said I was supposed to do. Um, and then I got a job offer from, uh, Atlanta college of art at the Woodruff art center and came in working on their community education program. Spent about five years there working on non-degree programming, went to SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, spent a little over a decade there. Um, I've worked with the Georgia what did, Art- what did you do at SCAD? Oh, gosh. Probably a little bit of everything. So much, yeah. Um, but again, it was mostly non-degree programming. Everything from tours and visitation to um, summer camp. The uh, I was working with the college board to facilitate 
teacher training and certification for teachers of AP Studio Art and Art History. Um, I did exhibitions with the National Art Honor Society. Um, yeah, just all community education for a while, summer seminars, their pre-college program. So yeah, all, a lot at, at SCAD too. It, it, it's, it comes across a little bit like you're all over the place. Does it feel that way? Yeah, and I like it. You like it that way. Yeah. So it's, it, you kind of, it almost feels like you're just kind of going with the current. It's like wherever life is taking me, whatever opportunities arise, I, I go and I, 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 that's where I'm going. Yeah. Oh, and maybe that comes from your father a little bit. Yeah, maybe it does. I don't know. I think that um, it's just what you open yourself up to and where you just being true to yourself, you know, saying yes to the opportunities that really seem to connect um, with your gut, you know, just that will, that will uh, land you in the right place. Well, you know? I think, I think people tend to kind of get it in their head. They're like, okay, I'm going to graduate high school. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a degree in a field and I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to mm-hmm. get the dream job, the career. And I'm going to, that's where I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. And they, but it's like, that may not be the case. You should be very open to the idea that something else may come along or another opportunity, or maybe you go work for a company after you graduate and an opportunity comes up in the company that's completely different than what you even studied, but it's something that you could go and excel in that you never even thought was possible. Yeah. And so it's always good to be a little open-minded that way. Yeah. And I Don't think be so one dimensional. Yeah. I think that's the younger people are more attuned to that. Like my father was, you know, you work for, he was with Delta for 36, 37 years. Um, yep. you, you go and you get a good job and you stay there and you retire and you get the gold watch. And, yep. um, but I mean, I, I, while I didn't stay at the same place, I've now been in arts management for about 25 years with a, about a three year break where I went into healthcare. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, sure. Why not? I mean, while we're checking all the boxes here, it was, it was, it was still in line with the, the things that it was fundraising and development and events. And, um, but it happened after I lost my little sister to ALS about six months after she passed, I was asked to speak at muscular dystrophy associations, big black tie fundraiser for the ALS, um, patient care and, uh, clinical research. And I, at first I was like, ah, oh, this is kind of raw and it's like 600 people. I, I don't know if I can do this. And then one of the things my sister always liked to say was say yes to every opportunity. I mean, she was a real, she was army airborne ranger. She was a marathon runner. She was, she, you know, did crew head of the Charles. She just did it all. Um, so I said yes to that opportunity and it, went really well and they offered me a job and it was more fundraising and development. And I, which was something I was interested in doing more of. And, uh, it was also a great way to work through the grieving process. I learned, uh, just being around people. I mean, I was in rooms where people were getting their ALS diagnosis for the first time. And it's terrifying. It's, it's that's almost more terrifying than cancer. It is. There's no I cure think, yeah. for it. I there's think that's just, there's you know? just, yeah, cancer, maybe you've got some hope there, but ALS is just like three to five years and it's a slow progression until your physical body dies while your mind is still going. And I mean, it's hard. She was 40 when she passed and my nephew was four when she passed. So it was tough on the family, but then the being around, being a, 
a support for people living with ALS after she had passed was so much, it, it just made giving of yourself while you're grieving. I can think of no better way to move through the grieving process. It was by accident that that happened, but it was just the healthiest way to like grieve the loss of my sisters to just well, give back to others. It's like a little blessing in a way. It really was. And I feel like there's, she totally had a hand in it. Oh. Much like being at the Hudgens now, like there are times I feel like, and this is not just luck, you know, this is preparation, uh, opportunity, and then some kind of divine intervention. Sure. Yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. I, I love that. I love to hear it. Thanks, so Steve. you've done all of these things and you've, you've been to SCAD, you've been around art your whole life. Do you consider yourself an artist? Do not you, do you do art as they say, <laughs> as the kids say these days? <laughs> Lately, I, I haven't. Um, I mean, I think it's, so I'm not a working professional artist now. And, you know, there was a time when my husband, Peter, he had gallery representation and, um, you know, he could have considered himself an artist, but I think by the professional definition, I'm not an artist, you know, I'm in arts management, but, but I, as, in as much as it's a perspective, I think that I am. Um, it's something I love. It's something I promote. It's something, um, you know, I cultivate in others and prioritize in the community. And, uh, I know that I'm creative you know, I play the cello. I'd still am a hobbyist photographer though. I, I cheat because I do it with my iPhone, which is not the same thing. Don't let Kate hear you say that. I know. She'll get so mad. <laughs> she had, a, she got into it with some guy who said, I'm a photographer and he uses his iPhone all the time. It's and she's not like, the it's same. not the same. It's not the same. Um, I mean, they do take, you can take great pictures on the iPhone. Oh yeah. It's, like, don't get me wrong. It's, right. But it's not, it's not the same. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that I'll always have that kind of appreciation for the arts, but I'm not a practicing artist. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, dabble in, in, uh, you can pottery still. And are those, we're, we're looking for those of you listening, obviously you can't see, but there's a shelf of pottery over here. Is any of that yours? No. The one that's over here with the really heavy foot, that's not glazed fire. That one's mine. That okay. has a card with a smiley face on it. I made that to kind of brighten up the pot because the rest of it is so depressing. I mean, I try, um, but, uh, and I do play my cello more than, anything that I do in the visual arts lately, because it's easy to, it's less messy come out and play for half an hour. Well, and there's also something probably therapeutic to that as well. There is. That's the whole point of art too. Like it should be something that doesn't stress you out. And if you get, if you think, if you start to get stressed out doing it, it's probably not something you want to do. So if you can just come in and pick it up and play it. Yeah. It's really cathartic and it takes you to a different space. You know, it's, it's a great kind of Mm -hmm. stress release. And, And I don't know, maybe some people would say, well, that's strange that, someone who is the executive director doesn't have like their own gallery of art or their own ambitions to have a gallery or something. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. You know, I think that it works to my benefit. I think that, uh, I'm enough left brain, enough right brain to kind of work the middle and which is important in this job. You have to have a good business sense. Um, you have to, love your color coded Excel spreadsheets. Um, you have to be organized. You have to multitask. You have to, to be able to, to go out and, and do the, the business operations piece or the, you know, the development fundraising piece. Um, but you also have to have an appreciation for the arts and know what is good. 
um, what will what is a good fit for our galleries or what will work well for the communities that we serve through the five galleries here and the couple ones we work with offsite. Um, so, yeah, I think it's you know I I I think it works well that I'm I'm not you know practicing. I'm not really well, an artist I, in a sense. Yeah, I mean the reality is most creative types tend to not be very good at execution. It's like the 80, 20 rule where it's like you have a hundred percent of your ideas as an artist, only 20% of them are probably ever going to make it to whatever it is. Your medium of choice is mm-hmm. maybe you're a painter, a photographer, whatever, because it's just, you're, it's just who we are. Like I'm, I consider myself in that group. Kate is type a, she's and she executes oh, yeah. with precision. Yes. She, whatever she puts her mind to, she gets it done. Mm. I'm the person that's like, I'm sitting there daydreaming and coming up with ideas, but I'm, I don't know if I'm as, I'm nowhere near her. And that's what you need though, especially in a place like this, because you have a lot of those creative types walking around mm-hmm. and they're all daydreaming and coming up with ideas. Well, you need people to execute. Mm-hmm. I think that's who you are in many ways. Well, thanks. I, yeah. You know, and I'm not saying you're not creative, so don't take that the wrong way. No, I, I just think you're more balanced. Yeah. Like you said, I'm more left and right kind of balanced. It's like, yeah, that's what you need in a place like this, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, cause let's face it. They, they've had those sorts of people in, in this position before. And it just seemed like, things just kind of were stagnant and didn't move in the direction they needed to. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, I mean, any business, I mean, we're a nonprofit, but at the end of the day, you know, we've, we've got to land in the black and, yeah. and you have to, it takes someone with that's business minded. Yeah. Um, for sure. Even though, you know, we're an art center or a nonprofit, we're all of the, you know, we're outreach and exhibitions and education and all these great things. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a business. We have to pay the bills. We have to generate income. We have to fundraise and it's, it's, you know, it's, it takes a special skill set that often exists outside of, you know, the, the I don't know, creative the creative realm of being an artist mm-hmm. where you just think about the painting you're going to paint. And you're not worried about how you're going to make the money off of it. Yeah. Someone will come around and buy it eventually. No, but that's the case. And you know, that there's a reason why they made the joke, the starving artist sort of situation. And it's because that's just what they do. And I'm dropping my pen. It's okay. It's- um, but no, I, I, you're, you're kind of rare though, because there aren't too many people like you who do have that sort of creativity who, who is very interested in art to a degree where your whole life is kind of orbited around that, mm-hmm. but you're also almost type a to the point where it's like, I can, I can run a business. Mm-hmm. I can sit down behind my computer and I can get into all the nitty gritty stuff that nobody wants to look at. And it's boring to most folks, but I enjoy it and I can get it done. If we, if this, if this place needs to make money, I can find a way to make money. Mm-hmm. I roll up my sleeves. I get the job done. Yeah. Thanks. That's Dave. rare though. Yeah. Don't Thanks. I, I think. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm, it, Maybe I, you know, I've, I've, I remember the first time an artist handed a contract back to me, it was signing blue crayon. And I was oh my like, gosh, <laughs> this is not how this works. Oh my God. But you know, I if mean, I so, didn't like hand paint, like paint, like dip his hand in paint and put it on the contract. I signed it. And he's like 35. I mean, somebody who definitely God should have been better. I did, but yeah, I love those people and I'm grateful that there are those in the world. Um, I'm not that person. So I don't know if I'm rare. I think the guy who signs contracts in blue crayon might be more rare. That might be a good thing. I don't know these days. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out there. The way things are, the way the world's going and you might be surprised. Um, but your, your title, you're, you're the executive director for the Hudson center of arts and learning. 
Um, was becoming the executive director for the center always your dream? Was this something that was a goal for you? What, what drove you to want to be here in this position? Because this is, I think, a pretty prestigious position, position to be in. It's very, a lot of, you have a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Not to put that kind of pressure on you. That's okay. In case you just became day. self-aware. <laughs> that's that you're realizing that hits me every morning when I wake up. I'm like, whole oh. place is in the palm of your hand, Laura. Don't screw it up. <laughs> um, no, thanks for, you know, no pressure. Yeah, no problem. Uh, um, I'm here for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it is. It, it was the goal early on is to, um, I love what the Hudgens is for the community. I think it's a critically important piece of our community when things like the arts go away, are underfunded or not prioritized, the larger community suffers. You know, you think about how much of our economy is based on, um, creative industries. It's, it's, I mean, you think about film and television in Georgia alone. Oh yeah. Those are creative fields. It's not, yeah. And graphic design, all the things we mentioned before, multimedia design, um, UX design. I mean, Delta airlines, home Depot, all the fortune 500 companies, Coca-Cola. They all, they all have creative more so than ever before. They pull in creative types, um, in marketing and branding and, you know, how they interface with their customers and, um, yeah, so many ways. Um, so I forgot the question. No, I didn't. Um, Did you want to be here? Yes. Is this where you really want to be, Laura? It is. And this was always, this, this to be at a, a place. Yes, yeah, so I was talking about the importance of the arts in the community. And I've always felt like it's important. The dream was always, my goal um, was always to be at the helm of an arts organization. I love the um, community education aspect of it. It's kind of where I came in, but all of it. I, the, the reason I love the Hudgens in particular is because it's not just the educational component. It's not just the exhibitions and galleries component. It's also outreach. We have a robust outreach program where we work with vets who work with developmentally different disabled, um, adults and children, autistic community. Um, there's living with a cancer diagnosis, caregivers, um, I mean, spectrum autism, I think I said the autistic community, so so many uh, people free programming through the arts. And that's really when there are no words for some of the heavy things that Mm. you're dealing Mm. with or kind of navigating. And we've all been through them the last few years in some kind of way, just to have the outlet of, you know, the arts just getting messy it feels good and you don't have to make the words around whatever emotion you're feeling that seems overwhelming. You're also fostering a sense of community and shared trauma and experience. So the outreach piece at the Hudgens was really compelling and appealing. And um, so yeah, this particular type of job was always the goal and to be at the Hudgens was just kind of the icing on the cake. Yeah. The outreach program is important. I, you know, you said, you, you, you mentioned the importance of just art in general in the community. And, and I don't think people really, I think it's changing. Mm-hmm. People are starting to realize how important art is. Yes. Thankfully. Thank God. Because yeah. when I was coming up as a kid, it was not important. It was, you need to learn math, science, and English. Mm-hmm. Art class was an elective and you'd yep. be lucky if you get to take one. Yep. I fought tooth and nail to try to get more art classes in high school. Um, they just didn't want me to do it. They wanted me to go into math because my math scores were underperforming. I hate math. You know, I don't like it. And so, but that's what the school focused on. And it, 
and it, you know, art is to me, when you see art, it's kind of the sign of your civil. It's like the sign of your civilization. It's a sign of, it's a, it, it shows you how well off a country or a, a city or anything is doing it. If you go into a city and it's beautiful and it's the architecture is pretty and there's paintings everywhere. And it just seems like there's art in everything mm-hmm. you associate that with this place is doing very well. Mm-hmm. Cause it's no wonder why when you go to some place like Russia or countries that have not done predominantly well, where everything is very bland and mm-hmm. cold, mm-hmm. art is extremely important because yeah. art does so much more than it's just more than a painting. Art invokes thought. It invokes, it helps people with their, the disability they may have or some sort of mental illness, or if they're suffering from PTSD, there's a therapeutic part of it, but it's, there's so much more to it than just painting pictures. Like there's right. a lot there Yeah, and it's, it's just, there's, it's like an onion, there's layers to yeah. it. And it's so important to have it. And I think if a child especially is showing that they are interested in art to a degree where it, it's a big part of their life, then we need to find a way for schools or the Hudgens to instant, like to, to nourish that more instead of being like, no, 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 you don't need to be an artist because that's, you know, you need to go learn math and science and engineering. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they shouldn't learn those things. You should, but let's let them thrive where they're, where they want to go. Kids are, you know what I mean? Like let's nourish, nourish, nurture that as much as we can. Because I think my parents were a lot like your parents. You go work a job, you go find a job, you work that job, you get your gold watch, you retire, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. When I was coming out of high school, I was looking into going into automotive design or some sort of design uh, kind of forward. I wanted to work on cars. I wanted mm-hmm. to build hot rods or design cars. That's what I wanted to do. That's cool. Um, went to, and, but my parents were like, they didn't understand it, I don't think. Yeah. And I'm not trying to like, they'll probably listen to this podcast, but like, what the hell, Dave? But the, the, the thing is, it's like, I remember them kind of, they were they were very supportive in everything I did. Like my mom bought my airbrushes when I was custom painting cars. So they were very supportive. But I think at the same time, they were, they were like, we really just want you to go to school and get your degree because they're, that's that old school thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's very much how this high school was. The high school was very, I'm going to tell you right now, I had one teacher who's Bill Burnett. He was my shop teacher for automotive of all the places, collision repair. He was the one who was like, this kid likes to airbrush cars and paint cars, he would let me go off into the corner and just do that. And I was so good at it. He brought me a car and I got to paint an entire car where all these other kids were sitting in the classroom learning how to pull out dents. I was over here airbrushing and custom painting like an old 70 something firebird. See, I think that's a, yeah. But he saw that and he was like, I want him to thrive. Like we need more of that. Right. right? And I don't know how I got on this tangent. I apologize, but I just like, you, you bringing up the importance of arts in the community just really kind of brought that out of me. Cause I'm always like, people kind of just shrug it off as it's not very important. Like, no, no, no. You don't understand how important this really yeah. is and how important it is to some people who are coming up who really would be better off going into a graphic design field. Mm-hmm. Maybe they like to paint and draw, but they don't know what kind of careers are out there for them. Mm-hmm. They could go work for Coke or yeah. somebody and do graphic design right. and thrive. Right. But you're forcing them down a different path because you don't think it's, you don't think art is important. Right. And, and that's I frustrating. S- yeah. I still sorry. see it. No, no, no. I get it. And I love <clears throat> that you, you kind of went down that road because it's to have teachers that recognize when a student is passionate about something and to nurture that is so important. I, 
it's really tough, I think, for kids to sit and, you know, at the wooden desk for seven hours a day and just I can never do it. Just do the rote memorization of material and and to get them excited about something. I mean, that's where that's that's how you teach kids like to you motivate them. And, you know, from that, they, you're teaching them a strong work ethic and, you know, they have to. I don't know, to get kids excited about something. And yeah, the arts, have, it was tougher uh, 30 years ago and for centuries before. Um, but I do think that there is, it's it's definitely changed. I, the great analogy is, for me, the one I always like to use is, I could go to Ace Hardware and buy the toilet brush for $1.89 and it will do the job. It will scrub my toilet. Yeah, It will have a wooden handle, whatever. It's great. It's a dollar eighty nine. I will not spend a dollar eighty nine on that brush. I will go to Target or or online somewhere and find some twenty five dollar cutesy toilet brush that <laughs> matches my personality and my yeah. you know and like that's that's a thing. That's where we yeah. are now. So um, yeah, it's there is a, a place. Also, the critical you were talking about math and uh, I go back to math because math was a it's a trigger for me. Well, clearly, a lot of people think that you know. And I grew up thinking I was bad at math, and then I learned music, and I realized I'm good at math. But it, and it's the same thing in uh, the arts. Like there's, it's I hate, I don't hate, but STEM, it's STEAM for me: science, technology, engineering, arts, math. The arts, you know, you're learning the rule of thirds. You're learning perspective. There's math sure. in that. Yeah, absolutely. So the kids mm-hmm. who can't learn are, are not as quick to pick up things like trigonometry. Like ma- they're learning math in a different way. They're mm-hmm. still learning the fundamentals of math. They're learning it through visual arts then. Yep. Well, I didn't, I didn't learn math. I was horrible at math my entire adolescent childhood years. Math didn't really start clicking for me until um, I applied it to business and construction. Yeah. Where it was becoming practical, mm-hmm. where I was doing a lot of measuring and figuring out angles when I was building things, um, or if I'm running a business, I'm worried about money, you know, profit and loss, things like that. Mm-hmm. When it was put into that practical p- perspective, that's when I'm like, oh, this is actually clicking. And yeah. I'm getting. It's funny how much more I've learned in my 20s than I ever did when I was in school. And I yeah. know that's probably a problem. Sorry, Lincoln High School in Ypsilanti, <laughs> Michigan, but the reality is that is the case for me anyway. I didn't do well in school. Um, I did very well in shop class. I did very well there. I call it shop class, but it was regional career technical center. It was collision repair course. Okay. And so I did very well there, but it's hands on yeah. and it's practical. And I think that's how the way I, I just think that's just the way I learn is it needs to be practical and put into something I'm going to do in my day to day so I can understand it. You know that I love that. And that reminds me, we're talking about my father. Well, he came up a couple of times when just I got my, <laughs> He's not ever bearing or anything. Um, Negative. He, when, when I was learning to drive, we learned how to change oil, how to change tire. My sisters and I, I put a new water pump in an 87 Chevy Blazer and I learned how important the sealant is because it's important. Uh, and I know a car engine. I've changed out. I know when it's the battery versus the alternator. I know, I know it's harder now because they don't, there's so much happening. Like you have to hook up a computer to the car. Yeah, it's more electronic now than ever. Sure. But but, I mean, I've got a 78 Toyota Land Cruiser FJ40. That car is simple engine, straight six cylinder. I can do anything on that, on that engine. And, and it's my, it's what my father taught me. Like you don't ever want to take your car into the shop and have somebody 
you know, pat you on the head, like, Oh, don't worry, little girl. It's either 80 bucks or 800. Like you mm-hmm. should know, you should know. That's part of the responsibility of driving is to know that, um, and never ask somebody to do what you can't do for yourself. So learn how to do it for yourself. And then if you need help, ask for help. But, um, so yeah, I, I get it. I, the learning through doing, and then, and then getting more out of your twenties than, than your teen, your t- teenage years are just a, it's a hot mess. You're overwhelmed emotionally. Oh my You're God. Not sure what Things are changing. Yeah. yeah. You're trying to fit in. You're trying yeah. to find out who you are. Yeah. It's, it's a pain. And it, it, I agree. There's a lot more there that, that that could be a huge contributor to it as well. But again, you were taught something. It was put into practicality for you. If someone had just sat you down and said, this is how you change an oil, you probably wouldn't care or it wouldn't stick. But right. the fact that it's like, I'm going to take you out to this vehicle. This is why it's important because you're going to drive this car and you know what? You may experience low oil light Mm -hmm. comes on, check engine light comes on. You go, I'm going to go check my oil. Mm -hmm. Now you know how to do that. Uh, I still do it. It's practical. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I think that's smart. I keep that in mind. If I ever do have children, I'm like, yeah, remember that. Teach them how to actually work on the car because that's (laughs) that's important. It's like all these things you don't think about. What do you think, what life experiences do you think attribute to your ability to be the executive director at the Hudgens. What do you think, what do you look back on and go, this really led me to this point? Oh gosh. I don't, I mean, I think just being, this is going to sound just simplistic, but just being true to yourself, you know, and just following, following the path of, you know, this is what interests me. This is where my passion lies. Um, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to work hard and learn all that I can and prepare and, and then be open, be ready, say yes when the opportunity arises. Um, but I think a strong work ethic is something that everyone needs. And I think I wouldn't be here without one. Um, and then just, just being excited about loving what I do. What do you, do you think that, there's some sort of, do you think that you've had to overcome some sort of systemic hurdles that would have prevented you from being in this position that you're being a woman? Or do you feel like what you've done is just through and through, through hard work and dedication? I think the woman piece has been, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. There are times I've made it work for me. Believe me. There are times that- <laughs> hey, it's a weapon, right? You <laughs> utilize it when necessary. I get it. Get pulled over by a police officer. Oh, Miss Officer. That I was just, you know, that's the example that I hate it, but it's true. I mean, I there have been times when I'm mad. I'm just jealous. That's all. Um, So yeah, I've I've been I've been lucky in a lot of ways. I've been fortunate for, you know, the zip code I grew up in. It wasn't in Port-au-Prince. It was in Atlanta, Georgia. I was Harry Balance's daughter. Carol's too. Um, I had a great family. I had parents that cared. I had, um, I had all these, I had every benefit, I think. Um, so, but I was also encouraged to do the most that I could with it and not to sit, you know, with idle hands and to, and to do for others as much as I do for myself. And, um, or more than I, you know, you're supposed to give of yourself and live a life of service. Um, 
Oh, God, Dave, what was the question again? I get excited. Your questions are good, and I kind of go off on a tangent. They're too nice. They're not that great. Oh, so the other piece of it is the, the woman thing. Well, I mean, you hear so too much. You're nice or, or you're a bitch. And so to, to navigate that, I was talking to Kate about that recently. I was like, oh, my God. When I get called too nice, I'm like, you want to see me flip it? Because I can real quick. I would much rather have too nice than the other way around. Well, In my mind, I would yeah. much rather deal with a woman that's too nice or even a man for that matter. Yeah. I found that kindness takes you places. Um, and, and like diplomacy. Yeah, that's true. And I, I don't want to wake up being a bitch. I want to wake up and want to make friends. I want to get chatty with you. I want to get excited about the things you're excited about and get you excited about the things I'm excited about. And I want to, you know, but, and I don't want to be a doormat. I'm, I, that makes me turn into a bitch, but, uh, I do, I think that you, if you're kind to people and you treat them with respect and you earn their respect in real ways that you can get people to do anything for, you can get them on your team and you can get them to work hard with you and for you. So, well, that kind of almost answers this question I was going to ask. And it, it lead, kind of segues perfectly into it because you're obviously in a position of leadership. That's hey. clearly without a doubt. Oh, well, thanks. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed since I've, since I've, since you've been here and I've, I've been a, like I said, I don't work for the Hudgens. I'm not a part of the Hudgens, but I've been around it even before you were here. And so I've seen different, you know, chapters of the Hudgens' life. And one of the things that I've noticed, and you have this uncanny ability, it's, it's crazy. And it makes you very unique and it's, you're almost different than any other person I've ever met in my life. This is really sweet. I don't know where you're going, but thank you. It, well, it may, yeah, it is. I promise it's nothing bad, but it, it is unique because you have this uncanny ability just by the way you conduct business and the way you, you just do, do the things that you do. It makes people want to just work with you. Aww. And I've seen that through walking the halls and being a part of the HUD, like being in the Hudgens, talking to the employees, other people that work here, volunteers, whatever. Everyone seems very motivated to roll up their sleeves and dedicate a lot of their time to this place. And that's, you can say like, well, it's their job. It's like, no, 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 this is more than that. This is more than just them coming in and doing their job. Like these people are going above and beyond what they're called to do. And they're not being forced to, they want to. And I feel like that's because of you, because I'm going to be, I'm not going to lie. Every time I've come up here and we talk and we get into chats about the Hudgens or just things around here, it literally like makes me want to quit what I'm doing to come work Aww, with for you. Thanks, like that, that's the, the kind of, um, that's what you do to these people to, to at least that's the effect you've had on me. And I imagine it's the same with everyone else. Cause I'm watching them. Like they are, everyone's in a very good mood. They have a smile on their face. They're eager to get to work, eager to do things that may not even be on their job title, mm. but they don't seem to have a problem with it. And yeah. I just want to know why you think that's so, why do you think that is the case? What do you, why is it that you have this uncanny ability to get people to just be like, yeah, I'm going to drop everything and follow you. That's, Thanks, Dave. That, I mean, I don't know what to say. That's really generous. And I appreciate that, you know, the, this comments that you see that in me. Um, I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to be an ass kisser. Well, but that's just what I've seen. I'll take either one. Um, nobody, nobody's done that. And I was in the Marine Corps. Like there was so many, like when I'm telling you that generally speaking, like I would, I tell Kate all the time, like I would literally go work at the Hudgens. Oh, thanks. Because it just seems like such a great place to work. So if this doesn't work out, I'm going to start a cult. It sounds like you could, You're very, you might, what's in this water you guys are giving me over here. I would never start a cult. Um, don't say never. 
Well, my grandmother used to say that, never say never, but uh, I don't know. I'm kind of feel like the it's cold's not a healthy environment for anybody. Bridge um, too far. It is a, a bridge too far, but mm-hmm. I do think that you have to love what you're doing. I think we have a great team. I think no one person can take sole credit for anything that goes really well or anything that falls to shit. It's a team effort. And if you know that, what you know, if you kind of push this idea that we're all in it together, you know, I've got your back. I know you've got mine. Um, you, you guide people towards a love for the mission, the work that you're doing. Um, you openly appreciate them. You also provide constructive feedback when needed because, you know, if, if, and I, I, I like the, the feedback too of something we always, there's always room for improvement in everything that we do, but it's the way that you approach people with that. Um, you know, it's not just a benefit to the team overall, it's a benefit to them. If you let them keep making the mistake, it's, it's, it's a disservice to themselves and everyone else. So I think just, I don't know, just being very relatable, being very genuine, being, uh, truly appreciative for the good work that people do. They come in every day and roll up their sleeves and, but you lead that way too. I don't ask anybody to make me coffee or, you know, make my own coffee, but you know, just respect, respecting each other and teaching that and or just reminding people that we are respectful of each other. I don't know what the singular answer is. It like the speak. It's almost like the speak softly, but carry a big stick sort of thing where you're firm when necessary, but, very generous in your like words of affirmation to others when they're working here. Yeah. I think being of generous spirit is something that's lacking in a, in a lot of our world lately. And, and I think if you spend as much time as you do at work, any one of us, we are a team and we need to be respectful and kind and we need to work hard. We need to give it our all because what, you know, you can get out of bed to half ass it. That's not what you're here for. No. And you want to feel appreciated and everything else. Right. And 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 you want to do your best. You want to give your best and you want to encourage that in others and like show them how great it feels to really give it 178%. And it might be wise to see that somebody is in a position that's not their bet good for them, but there might be something that's better suited for them. So it's always good to see that, Hey, you know, employee A is kind of lacking, but it's not because he's a bad employee. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just because he's not doing the, the job that the suits place. him. Yeah. Maybe there's something else in the company or maybe he needs to just go somewhere else. Yeah. And then you sort that out. But I've seen both sides of this cause mm-hmm. I've worked for the tyrant and mm-hmm. it is brutal. I have, I've seen that too. Um, my time at the brewery at Terrapin was brutal. Like it was, should have been a fun job and a fun place to work, but he was an absolute tyrant yeah. and there was no words of affirmation to come from that man. It didn't matter how good of a job you did. Was, he would tell you right to his face. Yeah, you could do better. Well, I mean, it's just and it like was, everybody there thought they were going to get fired. Yeah. Always walking on pins and needles. And, yeah. the, and the thing about it is you can feel that. And maybe it's not the leader, but maybe it's an employee, but there's, if there is one bad egg, mm-hmm. it's like cancer that's and it true. spreads and that's it will destroy true. an organization quicker than you can imagine. And that's not, that almost happened here before you got, came here. And when you came on here, it was like you were the radiation to the cancer that was in this place. Cause it went away mm-hmm. quick. Thanks. Now I know a lot of heads had to roll for that, but the fact of the matter is you don't have that problem now. Like it is amazing how changing out one person can completely change the, the mentality and the yeah. culture of an organization. Yeah. Everybody needs to listen to that right now, especially if you're a business owner, you need to pay very, pay very close attention to that 
Because if you got one bad egg, whether it's in management or in the in the lower levels, mm-hmm. like it'll destroy you. That's true, and I've I've seen that too. Um, I think that again, giving credit to the team, like just f- finding the you know the skill set when you when you're hiring and interviewing and bringing on new people. Um, anybody's resume, you know, you can, things can, they can learn things. It's, you're looking at the personality, you're looking at, you know, what will they bring to the, t- the team and the, the dynamic there. And, uh, so I think having a good, strong team and, and those that are willing to, you know, you, you work hard and they see what you're willing to do and you, it's just like coaching a football team or something, you know, everybody's in the locker room with the pep rally. Like that's what we do here. We're not berating each other. We're, you know, this is an open heart surgery. Nobody, nobody needs to like be crying in the bathroom. This is, we support each other. We work hard. Some days are better than others. We can openly vent if we need to. We all know that. Um, we, but I, I've, you know, I've long felt that you don't earn respect by demanding it. No. You, you don't berate people into, or you don't yell people into the corner to get them to do something. It never works. You I, have to. I've, I've been down that road in yeah. the Marine Corps and, it, and yeah. it, it doesn't really end well. You think you're getting ahead, but it's like, eh. no. like well, looking back at my time as a corporal, but that was my job. My job was to issue out the corporal punishment it was to be the, yeah. kind of the bulldog, the pit That's bull. That's a different animal. And so. I was hard on my junior Marines quite a bit, but I did praise when they did good. And I made them go through a little bit of a trial because we all have to. And so that's how I did it. But looking back at it, I'm like, I guess I could have probably been a little bit, I could have maybe gone a little bit easier on some of them. You know, though it's, but maybe that comes with age too. Yeah. That's, and that's a different, you know, the Marines are not a nonprofit arts organization. <laughs> really? <laughs> but uh, It is kind of life or death with what we're doing. And we were ordinance, so we were dealing with explosives. And it's kind of like, you, you, yeah. you got to get people to be awake. Well, and, and, that's, and that's the problem too. It's like, you don't have, you can't have a bad day. Right. You can't just be like, I'm going to take a, I'm going to kind of pull, you know, take a half-ass day today. It's like, no, you can't yeah. do that. We've got explosives here. We've got missions to meet and things to do. So mm-hmm. it's a little different. I understand. But you have to put the fear of God in some of these kids they are 18 years old. And they don't know any better. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. I think it is for their benefit and their safety that you're looking out for them. You're kind of scaring them into. Yeah, absolutely. Up and flying right. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I got, I got yelled at by, by a sergeant once because I took one of his guys from a different shop. He wasn't even an ordinance He was a flight liner and he was running into a, to go deal, to go work on this aircraft that was shutting down that was still armed with live uh, ordinance. It wasn't it, any ordinance that would have killed him. It most, it may have been something that damaged the aircraft or maybe hurt him, but it wasn't anything very deadly. But I grabbed him by his shirt and yanked him back and yelled at him and said, don't you dare go under that aircraft when it's armed ever again. Yeah. Now the Sergeant got mad at me. He yelled at me like scream spitting in my face. Don't you ever touch my Marines again? And I said, look here, Sergeant, I don't care if there's a cat, which is what it was. just a little explosive capsule or if there's missiles underneath that aircraft, he needs to know not to go underneath there when it's armed. Because if he makes the mistake now when it's just a cad, he could make the same exact mistake when there's a live hellfire missile underneath there. And then he does something stupid and it sets it off or damages it or does something that could harm the pilots of the aircraft. It's very serious stuff. He didn't see it from my point of view and I almost got in a lot of trouble. But uh, needless to say, I got my butt chewed. But I was, that's, you know, 
you got to, you, you know, I, I, I hate being that guy, but it's like, I had, had to, to, there's a time and a place where you, sometimes you've got to put the fear of God in someone. And that's when I did it. And I'm like, look, dude. And I told him, I said, look, I'm sorry. I had to pull you back, but you got to understand like, this is serious. This but, ain't, this ain't child's play. Yeah. Well, and you think we were talking about psychology earlier, earlier, and there is, it's the, not, you know, like trauma light or whatever, like a good, a good yelling at, or, you know, a, a, a moment where you're yeah pulling somebody from their shirt back off of something that could potentially cost them their lives or sure. others. People remember that like there is memory associated to trauma. And I think about, and not, not car accident trauma, like right. your kids, I'm sorry, your parents yelling at their kids because you were out after dark and you didn't tell them where you were or whatever. And then you sure. end up sitting in the corner for half an hour. I remember those moments as a kid yep. um, and I didn't do it again. Yeah. But so there's, there's a, a place for that too, where you're making sure that that 18 year old never, ever does that again. They're going to remember that moment and they're damn sure not going to make that mistake. Yeah, twice. He never did it ever again. By yeah. the way, He never went under a live aircraft ever again. He yeah. made sure the ordinance was there yeah. before he ever went back under. Yeah. And maybe, maybe I went above, you know, like I said, that, that sergeant and that gunnery sergeant that pulled me in their office and screamed at me and spit in my face, they're looking out for their Marine and I completely get it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I see what's going on here, but that's fine. Yeah. And I took my lickings from him and I, I remember walking out of the office and all those junior Marines and stuff were sitting there, heard, heard every bit of it. And they're all just looking at me like, oh dude, you just got the biggest chewing of your life. And they're probably like, some of them probably thought I deserved it because I, for what I did, but I don't take back what I did Yeah, because we, it's a dangerous, that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah. You got live aircraft, live munitions. You never know what's going to happen. You've got to take it seriously. Well, you talk about this being a position of leadership and, and it, it is. And I, I love that the way, the way that it is, but it's very, very different from what you're that level of leadership where, um, you know, I made the joke like this isn't heart surgery over here. It's it's this is a happy place. We yeah we have it a good be. time. Yeah, we work hard and 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 we feel good about what we're doing. Um, there's always room for improvement, but no, nobody's nobody's gonna get a beat down. You know, we we I I like to motivate and excite and kind of rally the troops to get the job done and and be right in there the thick of it with them. Yeah, and that's but, another thing I noticed. You are setting up, tearing down, you're there with yeah. the troops working. And yeah. I think that's a thing that everyone needs to listen to as well as if you're a leader, it helps that you roll up your sleeves with the guys on the ground. Yeah. And I think that's a big mistake that a lot of, um, people in leadership positions professionally make is that they, they're C-suite employees and they think that they are above certain things. And it's true. Like there are certain things that, you know, I, you need to prioritize how you spend your time and you sure. can't be doing yeah, the, right. some of the more mundane stuff, but um, you should know how to do the more mundane stuff. You should have done it at some point and have an appreciation for the person that's doing it now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you earn your place and, and with that, you earn the, the respect of others. And yeah. And that's very much how the military was set up for me. I think that's one of the reasons why I struggled so hard when I got out of the Marine Corps was because I got thrown into positions where, I think people think, oh, well, he's a Marine. He can just go be a, in a management position. Mm -hmm. I remember when I got to that brewery, it was like, I didn't know anything. I mean, I knew how to maintain machines and do work with my hands and stuff. But as far as like the inner outs of the operations of that place and everything, I did not feel like I was qualified to be the maintenance manager. 
And I think that's one of the things that that guy who was the tyrant, as I say, wanted me to be. He wanted me to, to manage. But there was a gentleman that had been in that brewery for three or four years before I got there, older than me at that. So here I am. This goes against everything I know. It's like, I don't know this place. I don't know how things work. I don't know what systems and operations you guys have. I have to learn all that first. Here's this old man who's been a maintainer here for years. He knows more than I do. I should be answering to him. Yeah. But they didn't want that. They wanted me to give him orders or something. And I'm like, that felt so strange to me. Because to me, it's like, you got to kind of, you kind of got to learn a little bit before you really start taking over a leadership role. might Mm -hmm. be. You really got to kind of grow and figure some things out. At least have an idea of how things go and operate before you just start being that leader because people around you are going to go, why are you barking orders? Who the hell are you? That's a, yeah, that's you a don't thing. know nothing. It's, yeah. It's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to, that's a tough situation to come into. It is. I don't know how I brought that up again, but you're, you're well, bringing, yeah. you're bringing up some very dark <laughs> areas of my life, Laura. It's a psychology. Here we go. Um, no, but it's, it's true. And you, you know, the, the trick there is like, how do you get that person to, rally alongside you. It's, he it's, was more than willing to. That was the crazy thing. He wanted oh. to, he was such a nice old man. Yeah. His name was Randall. He was the nicest guy I ever met. Poor guy always thought he was going to get fired. He was like me. And, but, uh, he was more than happy to, to, to take direction, but yeah. I just didn't feel like I was, I didn't feel like I was in that position yet. Mm-hmm. It felt so strange to me because in the Marine Corps, man, you start off at like the little peon and mm-hmm. you have to work your way up. And that's what I did. So for me, I'm like, this is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't belong. To, I should be the guy just out there turning wrenches right now. I don't deserve to be barking orders at anybody. So, I don't know about that. That might be a little imposter syndrome that you're suffering from there, Dave. What is imposter syndrome? <laughs> Tell me. No, this is interesting. The, where you, um, what, how, what's the best way to describe it? Like you're out there you doubt that you doubt your place, you know, like you feel like you walk into a room full of important people and you don't belong there. You're an imposter. Mm. Um, when, but really you've, you did work your way up in the Marine Corps. You did, you, you know, you made it this far in life, you know, some things and, and you walk into a room knowing that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just kind of idiots. We're all humans. We make mistakes. We have some successes and yeah. And, and I think a lot of people suffer from, from that from time to time, like walk into a room and feel intimidated or feel that they, they're, they're faking it to make it mm-hmm. imposter syndrome. I definitely felt it at the brewery. I never felt it when I had my, when I had employees working, when I had my renovation company and I had people working for me, I never felt that way there. Yeah. I felt very much like we were a team. We're doing this together, but I was in charge. Yeah. Everybody knows that they come to me for, they were coming to me for every question that needed to be answered. But I was also the guy that would happily roll up my sleeves and get dirty with them. See, and that's the thing too. It's like you, that being your business, you could define True. what, you could define the parameters, you know, you had yeah. more control. Yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that was easier just because I am the owner and they all knew that. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you have to listen to me. Otherwise right. you're fired. Nobody ever, I never had to say that. Like these people, these are all older guys. And that's the thing too. They were all older guys. They were all, one guy was like 60 something. The other guy was in his fifties. These were all much older, way more experienced guys than me like these guys knew way more than I did and yet for whatever reason they just were like what do we what do you want us to do here and I'm like well, you know what to do like why are you asking me like you guys are way more competent and capable in fact they taught me so much it's unbelievable how much they taught me but I was their boss but like I said we had a mutual understanding and I had no problem rolling up my sleeves and getting dirty with them it was a much different world than what I came from from that brewery 
Yeah. It's so weird, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think too, being in a position of leadership, like recognizing that you still have things to learn and you're often learning them from others who maybe not be, may not be at your same professional kind of Oh, yeah. Wrong. Like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's a mistake to think that you know it all at this point. Oh, I, I don't know nothing. Oh, oh, my God. I'm just getting into, I'm scratching the surface at 50. I know it. Do you, do you have any mentors, do you think, coming up that may have been influences for you? So, some mentors for me, for instance, like my shop teacher, he's a huge mentor that I can always come to, right? Like, just think of it like that. You know, both my grandmothers, my younger sister who passed, it's, kind of stinks because they're all dead now, but I do find myself having like conversations with them, not, or just co- converse, not like I'm talking out loud, like in my car. Or whatever. It's okay. If you do, I'm not going to judge you. Have you. Psychology keeps coming up. Mm. Um, no, but I don't, <laughs> but like, I'll just think through like, what would, what would my sister Marthy do in this? Because she was so, she was sharp. She was just on yeah, the wall. No, and, that's a normal conversation. I think that. Yeah. And my, you know, one grandmother, my, paternal grandmother was just a lot like me in terms of personality and no, like emotionally, I feel like she and I were connected. I don't know if that makes sense. We we were both, she was very empathetic. She was very, uh, generous. Um, I'm, I think I'm, she was very tough. She's a very strong woman. Um, but, uh, you know, she kind of wore her heart on her sleeve. I learned a lot of how not to do that from her and why not to do that from her. Then my maternal grandmother was, I mean, that woman, she would come up and spend Christmas with us and we would chat while scrubbing down the kitchen cabinets with the, you know, scrub brush and a bucket of hot water and soap. And like, that was just like learning, learning to how good that felt. I know that sounds funny, but like the work ethic, like the Mm -hmm. doing, just keeping your hands busy. And, you know, so I learned, you know, people talk about their professional mentors and I could list some people, but at the end of the day, it's the woman who raised me and who I grew up with, um, who taught me the things I consider to be most important. Yeah. I can relate with that. My father was certainly a huge, took what had a huge part in my who I am. So mm-hmm. I always look at him as one of my biggest, biggest role models. So yeah, the people closest to you, I think is very important. It doesn't have to be a professional person. Mm-hmm. Some people lose sight of that when they think like of a mentor, they, they want to look outside the family. It's like, don't maybe not look out so far. Yeah. But my dad's a, a bastard. It's like, okay, but maybe you can still learn. <laughs> maybe he is the world's biggest bastard, but maybe you can learn something from that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's maybe there's something there that you can go, I can appreciate where he's coming from, but I'm going to do it this way. Or maybe I'm learning what not to do. In yeah. some cases, like you said, I mean, in the true definition of the word, like these are the people who are shaping you yeah, in your critical years and, um, and mentoring, I guess, is, is someone who's kind of helping you, helping to pave the way for you or, or teaching you and shaping you. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think my mentors were the people who had the, the most profound impact in making me who I am, I think, or helping me like find my way where yeah, my grandmother's and my Grand, sister. Grandparents are good for that. Grandparents, grandparents are, are so great. they are very good to show you just kind of life lessons without even really saying anything. Mm-hmm. You can just watch them and how they act, especially because of that generation. Yeah. Cause like my grandparents, my grandpa King was a world war two vet, you know, and, and he, so that's his generation. And it's like, you think about 
work ethic and the ideas and the things, the way they treat their wives and you just kind of watch and he, and he soak it in. Like I was a huge sponge. I was the kind of kid that would sit and watch people. And and that's how I'd learn. Like my sisters are huge. My sisters don't realize this, but they're huge role um, mentors for me because I watched all the dumb stuff that they did and got them in trouble. And I'm like, I ain't doing that. <laughs> and I, I, that's why mom and dad said I was such the easy one. I'm like, I'm the easy one. Cause I was watching Desiree and Danny make all the mistakes. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not doing that. That was I'm, the, I'm the opposite. Me. Yeah. And, uh, I would have been doomed if I was the oldest child. Oh my God. I don't know what I would have been like as the oldest. I was, you know, I'm a great middle child and I hold it over my parents' head all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that I suffer from the middle child complex, but, uh, yeah, my sister Katie, I learned what not to do from her. Um, but she, I mean, she's great. I, she's one of my favorite people on the planet. So it's, that's a great thing. I, like I said, I, I'm a very observant person. I learned how to drive by watching my dad. I knew how to drive a car before I was ever even allowed to drive a car. I, Cause I would just sit there and watch my dad. I yeah. watched what he would do, turn the key, pull the lever, what pedals he would push on, how he would just everything. I was so observant. I don't think he even realized how much I was watching him as a kid. You know, Probably a scary thing to think about. I think really quickly going back to the, the, you know, what it, what it means to be a great leader or what it takes or what works. Mm-hmm. My grandmother used to love people watching. I would sit on the park bench with her at Lenox Square and we would just watch people. Yeah. And um, and I've always, that's in cultural anthropology, you come in as an observer. And I have always found that to be like rule number one. You never walk into a room talking. As chatty as you like to be, maybe. But, you know, walk in and listen and read the room. Mm-hmm. And look at the different personality types that you're about to engage with, yep. understand the best way to connect with them, what kind of response you're wanting to get from them based on that, you know, like all of that, like people watching, being observant, listening, being able to read a room, like that's the best that is, trick, you know, and, and working so with important. the team and, and getting them to, you know, that is, that is networking one one it really is. And I was doing BNI meetings where we would all meet for lunch. Oh, I know those meetings. Yes, yeah. BNI. Uh, that's what I would do. When I first got there, I was very quiet. I'm mm-hmm. always the quiet one in a new room. Um, but I open up fast. I'll become, yeah. I will talk. But it takes me a minute because I want to listen. Yeah. Like you do. And I want to see who's there and feel it out. Just yeah. kind of get the vibes of that room. It's so important. And yeah, being a, it teaches you how to be kind of a, what is it, a shapeshifter? code shifter, like you learn, all right, this person is, seems more introverted. This is going to be a one-on-one conversation and you're really going to want to come in in a personal way and, and look them in the eye. And, and then you'll find the chatty person that's, I'm, I'm very chatty. Um, he's just excited. I want to be excited with you. And so like, yeah, being a shape shifter in that way too, it's like working with different people and to kind of meet them where they are and connect with them. Mm-hmm. Where they are is important. It's an important skill set. Absolutely. I'm, you know, nothing's worse, at least in my mind, nothing would be more embarrassing than to be exposed as a fool. So if you go into a room and you just start running your mouth, you run the risk of and I've offending and saying things that yeah. are just like, like, you know how people can come into an organization and they just start running their mouth yeah. about it. And it's like, bro, you don't even know anything yet. Yeah. Like we haven't even told you what goes on here. Yep. I've and then you just that. made yourself look like the biggest ass. Well, and it's a lot of work too to kind of, I've, yeah, I've, I've seen those people walk into a room, whether it's a boardroom or the workplace and, you know, we need to be doing X, Y, Z. It's like, well, 
you just got here and you don't know that we're, we've tried that three different ways and it doesn't work for these reasons. And I'd be happy to, you know, like, but in, in people's kind of panic sometimes to prove themselves, I think it happens, especially when you're younger. I've seen that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think we've all been guilty of something in some way of that. Maybe in our younger years, we've all had our moment, Yeah, but you kind of learn like, yeah, I like to figure things. I like to sit and read the room before I start bladdering my mouth out. Mm, Same way. There's some people I know I can walk in and start chatting right away, but well, but yeah, rooms I don't know. New rooms, new rooms, new people. I'm like, all right, let's figure this one out. Let's see who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with some uptight people or these people (laughs) want to joke around and have fun. Tell me, we're, we're, we're deep into the woods here, but tell me a little bit about the Hutchins. What is the Hutchins Center for the Arts? What would you say, how would you best describe this place? So it is community arts organization. Um, we provide services through the visual arts to the larger community, um, through exhibitions, outreach and education. We are inclusive. You know, we have, we, this is the sixth most diverse County in the country. So we teach, uh, provide programming in multiple languages. Um, 25% of our student population is Korean speaking. Uh, so we have classes in Korean and we do outreach in Spanish and, um, we have, it's, it's really, it exists as the center for arts and culture in our community, the visual arts and, and culture and so much to say about the Hudgens. I mean, it's really, it's hard to sum it up in like two neat sentences in our mission. Well, you don't have to, I mean, we okay. can, we're, I know we've gone long, but we could go longer if you need to. Um, yeah, I always like to go. I'm a little long-winded sometimes, Dave. I apologize. You're, you're preaching to the choir hey. over here. I'm not, you're not offending me. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> so it's it's about providing, promoting the arts, the visual arts in our community, providing access to the arts for everyone, regardless of your, you know, socioeconomic status or financial hardship. You know, we've got all kinds of outreach and free programming and scholarships and um, we're inclusive. We have a reputation for representing through exhibitions traditionally um, under resourced artists. Um, in the past year and a half, we've had uh, a sculptor from the Oglala Sioux tribe. We've, you know, we've had the Indian American American Immigrant Experience exhibition. We've We've done all kinds of things that, that really are reflective, truly reflective of our community. So we're just the shining star of the visual arts um, as a resource, I think, in Gwinnett and the North Metro area. So you listed off some really great programs there. How can people enroll in those programs? How can they get involved with, with those those if they hear something they like or want to or do that? Thank you so it? much for that question, Dave. So, uh, <laughs> How can they get involved? Beautiful new website, thehudgens.org. T-H-E-H-U-D-G-E-N-S.org. We'll include a link to the Hudgens.org in the description of the podcast too. So you can go ahead and copy and paste that if you're listening. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's donations. We are truly a nonprofit and probably 40% of our annual budget is relying on grants and donations. No amount is too small. Um, So you can donate, you can volunteer your time, you can sign up for a class, a workshop. We have everything from uh, ceramic and sculpture to uh, 2D classes. We have summer camps, we have um, workshops and um, 
you know, the art of charcuterie and the art of charcuterie. Yeah, I took that class. That was a fun class. I know you got to eat charcuterie. That was yeah. the best well, part. Drink a glass of wine while you do. Glass so of wine. We have yes. the kind of art light experiences on weekend evenings, so you can come sit in the sculpture garden and do a patio paint and sip. And you know, in two hours, you have a. You've done those too. You're I quite love the paint and sip. Oh, you're flattering. No, no. You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's it's all about having fun. We joke like is. the more you drink, the better you paint. And it's it. You don't need to be an artist. You just need to come have fun and get yeah. out and. It is so and, great. Yeah. It's, it's such a great way to enjoy the weather, get with, get around friends and people. It's a good thing. Yeah. I love the paint and sips. I would do them more, but I'm starting to collect too many and I don't know what to do with them. Do an exhibition. <laughs> I know. I've ex- joked that I want to do like an exhibition of the paint and sippers work because some of that stuff is really. I've said it. You great. should. Is yeah. Just for fun. Just yeah. put up all, all the paint and sips because it's like, what do you do with? Yeah. I've got a stack of these things. I'm yeah. like, oh, well, they're not good enough to put on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> But although, yeah. although did Kate did put the um, the bird one up. She the one bird I did one. the one with the two birds, with a little hard over oh, them. Yeah, yeah, she yeah, liked yeah. that one. She put that up in the living room. Okay, oh, so nice. that one, that one did actually make okay. it on the wall. Yeah, and, and the rest are on the fridge. Yeah, where she puts all my drawings. So that's where we put the dog's drawings. Yeah. Yes, the, the paw painting. But I everything you know that we do, you can find on our website, thehudgens.org. Follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, um, and then we encourage you to get involved. There's there's just something for everyone here and it's, it's a fun place. It's often called, you know, people refer to it as the, their happy place. The Hudgens is my happy place. And there's a vibe about this yeah, place. I mean, I, I don't even really, when I'm here, I'm usually here on business, but I'm still happy to be here. Yeah. It's a great Weird. place. It's a strange yeah, vibe. I yeah. don't know what it is about it. It's, um, I, it's in the water. I put a little something. Yeah. THC or something. Um, what are you currently working on it for the Hudgens and what has you excited the most right now? What is in the books? Um, growing programming is the educational programming. We've been really focused on growing outreach the last few years since the pandemic and and finding a way to be relevant within our community. Um, during the years when everybody was focused on healthcare and um unemployment, food insecurity, housing insecurity, like how are the arts relevant? So that's been the focus the last few years is outreach. Um, So now growing the educational programming and community engagement opportunities, we've got a lot of great new partnerships. I'm excited to kind of shift the focus there. Um, And then collaborating with our corporate and community partners to bring, you know, more visibility to the arts um, and uh, public art installation projects. We're talking about with Mayor Nancy Harris and Duluth and Alyssa Davis, Executive Director of Art Sugarloaf CID, um, partnering with Gwinnett County to install um, artwork in the Gwinnett Justice and Administration Center. We all these great partnerships that we have throughout the community. So, um, programming and community engagement are the the, the short term focus currently. That's a, that sounds great. Do you have any, maybe some goals or dreams for the Hudgens Center of the Arts moving forward? What would you like to like, what would you like your legacy to be here at the center? So I, I hope to be here for a long time. You know, I've been here about three years now and I. Which fun fact, not to cut you off. You oh, came in during the pandemic. Oh Lord, did I? Oh my God. <laughs> well, we to, I don't even want to. You want to talk about a trial by fire. Oh God. The learning curve there was pretty, it's pretty swift. 
Yeah. Um, so I signed my offer letter on March 12th of 2020 and my start date was April 6th of 2020. And, um, I joked like, but onboarding from home, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it, do it a second time. It, there, there were some challenges there for sure. But, um, but yeah, you, I mean, I learned real quick. Um, I had it, my first grant written by the end of the week and, you know, I didn't get my laptop that until Wednesday. So it was, it was just a horse race to kind of what can we do? How quickly can we pivot? How, what throwing things to the wall, see what would stick, um, to keep the center going and not just going, but thriving. Right. Um, so, but we did it. And I, to the great credit of, of, super strong board who stuck their necks out, rolled up their sleeves, um, a great team that was, um, you know, it was not easy, uh, but they, they were working from home around the clock and we all kind of were. And, um, yeah, it's nice to, to think about moving forward now, you know, we were treading water for a little while there just to make sure we were, we were stable. And, but now we are looking at bigger things and I would like to see the Hudgens, physical spaces brought up to standard. I would like to focus on some capital improvements long-term, mm-hmm. um, that would really physically highlight the Hudgens as the arts and culture hub of North Atlanta, um, the North Metro area, because there's so much opportunity here. There's so much potential. And I think bringing more classroom studio space online, making better use of our event spaces, um, kind of working out some gallery spaces so that they flow a little better, um, bringing in uh, more, you know, I love the community gallery space that we have here, but also more notable exhibitions as well, you know, would draw a greater crowd. So um, longer term, yeah, I hope to be here for another eight to 10 years, as long as they'll have me until I have to retire, I which I don't ever really, I can't imagine retiring, but, um, at some point I probably we all say that I know. And but then my dad who's retired is like, we all say that till you've been somewhere for 43 years and you're like, I've had enough. It's yeah, fair enough, dad. Even <laughs> on the weekends, I'm like, I get anxious. Like I gotta go. What am I doing? I, what am I, I'm going to watch Netflix all day. Like what well, I could maybe work in the yard. I gotta go. So, I mean that, um, yeah, so I, I hope to to be at the Hudgens for a long time coming, and I hope that the legacy I leave here is that, you know, it's to really put the center on the map and to for everyone in the community to be aware of the resources available to them here and appreciate and take part in them. Well, that sounds fantastic. Well, thanks, Dave. I think there's hope there, and the fact that you, when you came into the Hudgens, came in during a pandemic, you came in when the Hudgens was, lack of better term, not doing well. And there was no chance. We didn't know where nobody really knew what was going to happen. And it could have very easily closed the doors. And here we are now, you and the board came together and brought this thing out of the fire. It's amazing. And you've got yourself a little diamond. Yeah. And so you should be proud of that. Y'all should be very proud. Everyone who's here should really sit and reflect at the fact of what y'all have accomplished over the last three or four years. So many businesses failed, Mm -hmm. you know, people lost everything yeah. because of that pandemic. And yet here you guys are managed to navigate. And well, to me, it seems like, well, if you can get through that, you know, the sky's the limit for you and everyone here at the Hudgens. Yeah. And, and I like that you say y'all in that, because again, it was, it took a team 
to make that happen. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing that we, we, there are a lot of, I mean, the arts were at the bottom of the list in 2020, 2021, like where, how can we support our community? What can we do to help businesses, you know, keep their doors open? Nobody was thinking about a community arts center. No, nobody. But that's how it always is with art. Like we we spoke about earlier. It's always seems to be the bottom of the list. Should be like, "Mm." yeah. So, you know, changing people's perspectives on the arts is, you know, that's another long-term goal. I would love to, for that to in some way be a part of the legacy I leave here. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing three years and I am looking forward to the road ahead and all the things that, that we're able to accomplish. Well, thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much, Laura. I've enjoyed our conversation. It's always fun chatting with you. Thank you. I, we've learned quite a bit and I'm, I'm very excited about what's going on. Like I've said before, i I have not worked here. I'm not on the board, but I feel like I'm a part of it because I see, I hear about it the day to day and watching my wife and what she's done. And she's so dedicated and you are a part of it. She is extremely dedicated. Every part of her life is, you know, she brings all of it to the Hudgens and that includes you many days. (laughs) Hey, there's been sacrifices. There's been times where I don't see her or she's been up working late when she did the website. It was long hours and, and so I see it and I see the, the dedication and the work being put into it. And I can, from an outsider's perspective, I can say, good job. Like, dang guys, you guys are just doing a bang up job over here. And I yeah. hope the best. I really do. Thanks. So Thanks. thank you so much. I enjoyed our conversation. I have too. Thank you. I, I really, really did. I, I think we kind of tackled quite a bit today and we've learned a lot about you and the Hudgens. And I really hope that people who listen to this, if you're in the Georgia area, will get involved or at least come visit and yeah. see the gallery. Now, is the gallery free or does it cost money to get into the gallery? Uh, galleries are free and open to the public um, Tuesday through Friday from and, 10 and to why 5. Is, why is that? Whole Camp Heating and Air oh. um, is a, they are a generous sponsor um, and their sponsorship provides free admission to the Hudgens Galleries, the 28,000 square foot sculpture garden and the children's art zone, um, which, you know, we have interactive um, steam based art installations in the, the kids zone. And, uh, yeah, so always free and open to the public admission would be $5 per person, but thanks to the whole camp heating and air, uh, sponsorship, it's, it's free. So, and there is a gift shop too. So if you are looking for a nice piece of artwork, Mm -hmm. uh, you can go in there and shop. There's a lot of great different items in there. You got everything from clay to glass and paintings. Local artists. Local. Yeah. Local. Uh, textiles, some really cute jackets. I bought one from my mom. Oh, really? Um, I mean, we've got all kinds of stuff in the gift shop. That's It's so great to have every birthday and Christmas present. The last three years has come out of our gift shop. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. There's wood turning as well. There's some guys that have turned some bowls or ladies too. I don't know who makes them, um, but they and are just art fan- supplies. Fans, yes, yeah, so art kids, supplies. Kids, art supplies, adult coloring book. I mean, the, the really the whole if you're in yards. If you're near Gwinnett County, this is a great weekend, like a Saturday or a Friday afternoon trip for you and the family to come down here to the Hudgens and just walk around, look at the art, go through the gift shop and just, just experience it. You're in Duluth. Duluth is a fantastic city. There's so many places to eat, so much to do. So you make the trek down over here, check it out. I don't think uh, you'll regret it. And I also think once you do come here and if you do have a chance to meet Laura or any of the staff, you'll probably want to get involved. Because they just have that weird effect on you. Oh, thanks. I'm, I'm so, 
I, I love my weird effect. You have. It's strange. I'm telling you. Well, it's a it's a it's a gift. Not a lot of people have it. Thank you. Thank you. And um, listen, my my wife doesn't even have it because she can't get me to do anything without pulling me by the ear and making me do it. So yeah, I wouldn't be here without your wife. I, have to you, <laughs> I wasn't looking for uh, to change careers when uh, or change jobs when she reached out to me and I was like, let me think about who I know. And she's like, no, no, no. I want to talk to you. And, um, yep. and she, I mean, she got me in here and I'm grateful to her for I, that. I remember when she had mentioned it to me, she said, I have, I know this person we've worked together, whatever at SCAD and everything. And she told me your background, who you were. I was like, that sounds like a huge land. You need to find a way to get her here. Uh-huh. Like, I'm like, I was like, would she want to come work at the Hudgens? It oh seems like it. I mean, it kind of seems like small potatoes for her. No, and Kate was, was worried. She's like, you're, I don't know. She might be right. She may not be interested because it is kind of a, it's just the Hudgens right now. But now it's like the Hudgens has really become something. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what you need. You need someone like you. That, thanks. That can take something and, and elevate it. Yeah. And so I think that's what you've done. Um, you know, I love going out into the community and talking about the Hudgens and making people aware of all that we're doing here. And I, I, you know, it's, it's my job, but it's also kind of my passion is getting people excited about the things I'm excited about. So yeah, um, being excited about the Hudgens and just going out and spreading the word is, is, um, I think it's made a, I hope it's made a difference. I think it has. Yeah, I really do. I think, like I said, I think, um, I think that you've really done a great job here. I think the future is very bright for the Hudgens. Um, so. I'm excited to to get involved in some way or another. And I asked today if there was going to be a Hudgens party. And Kate said, "You guys are put the kibosh on the Hudgens party." You did put the kibosh on the Hudgens I'm party. I'm so mad about that. Well, I look forward to the Hudgens you know, party every we're gonna, year. We're going to do a different kind of party. Okay. So it's, um, yeah, we're just going to kind of tweak that, retool it, um, so that it to grow the audience you know we want an event that that um is of interest to a lot of people and i think the party's a good time but it's something we can do to keep the ticket prices um such that they're more accessible to a larger part of the community younger people um yeah so we'll I'll, well, we will have a good time this year. I promise. Oh, I have no doubt. Okay. I'm looking forward to the next paint sip. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I uh, guess April, end of April. So it's end of April. I might be out of town that time. I'll have to come to the next one. Mm. Might be on a golf trip. What's more important, Dave? Golf or paint well, sip? Well, 25th year of my dad's charity golf tournament in Michigan. Oh, that's amazing. 25 years charity that goes towards the blind blind kids. They raise money for blind children. That's awesome. Uh, Penetrance Center for Blind Kids in Michigan. That is so it's fantastic. a great cause. Yeah. If everybody's listening to it. It's frostbiteopen.com, I think is what it is. But yeah, 25th, this will be his 25th year doing it. That's okay. You can go do the golf. So I have to, yeah, I gotta yeah. go. But show my support. Just joking, like most guys, if I said, what's more important, golf or paint and sip, they would, they would, they, that you were, like, well, that really thinking about it was... I was thinking about it because I like the paint set. It's a good time. It is a very good time. Um, and it supports the Hudgens. Right, it does. And yeah, even the dudes who come in, who I remember when you were that, that guy, you're like, why am I here? I'm not painting and sipping. And you... I got way into it. I got, got way, way too yeah, into it. <laughs> always the guys who come in and you're like, my wife dragged me. Like, what am I doing here? And then they have a beer or two and they're just, they're so focused and they're seven degrees. It's, it's, it's fun. always the guys that are laser focused on yeah. make like, I don't know what it is. The girls are off drinking their wine, laughing mm-hmm. and just blah, 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 painting, whatever. Yeah. And then the men are like, 
mysterious. Stoic. It's yeah. just painting their yeah. picture. Yeah. Uh, don't talk to me. I'm trying to get this line right. I don't know what it is. It must be. Yeah. It's just the difference between men and women. Yeah. Laura, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I really appreciate Thanks, you giving me this dude. time. Yeah. I hopefully I didn't take up too much of your time. We went a little longer than normal. I've enjoyed it. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored that, that uh, you know, you would invite me on and take the time to to learn more about the Hudgens and share the word of the Hudgens with others. And, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, when we hit some more milestones, we'll have to have you back on. We'll talk about it I some more. I would love to come back on. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And thank you everybody else for listening to the rant. I appreciate it so much. If you like the show, please go on and rate it. You can go to iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts and rate us. It doesn't cost you a dime, but man, does it help me out so much. If you like this show and maybe you have some comments or questions that you'd like answered, you can always reach out to Laura or anyone else at the Hudgens. Um, what's the website again? Uh, org. There you go. You can reach her there if you have any questions or want to enroll in a program. But you can also... Uh, if you have questions for me or comments about the program, the show, or what you thought, you can always hit me up. You can hit me up at davidking.therant at gmail.com or social media. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. I do respond to the comments. So thank you guys so much for listening and have a great night.